0: say tech, and I was like, well, that's my kind of comment. <laughs> no, no, tech, <laughs> comma. Okay, okay. <laughs> uh, but he, uh, he the, one, of
1: the, one of his trainers, one of the people that he paid um, was uh, a member of the indigenous tribe there, and they grew up, that was like a hobby that he grew up with in his family. They just run barefoot, and mm-hmm. he is up to, like, he can do 100 miles barefoot. And that's, everything about that sentence is wrong in my head, but it's really cool to know that there are people out there that can do that. Like, yeah. I I don't I don't have an equivocal chunk
0: of that. Like I'm picturing stepping on one pebble and he stepped on like eleven thousand three hundred yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know? yeah, no. I, I would not be able to do it. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. I
1: mean you have to at that point, you have to you have to assume that you can walk over anything. You know, like every time there's a fire somewhere, yeah. I'm like, I'm gonna walk sure. across that. <laughs> I DJ'd for nine hours once and I thought that was something cool. And I stood in one spot the whole time. And I still yeah, acted like gone. somehow that was like a feat.
2: Yeah, but you stay you stay in with moves. <laughs> yeah. There you we know? go. Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> we kept everybody else dancing, so that's all that matters. Oh man. Charles, it feels good to be back down here in the yeah. classy confines of the cigar lounge at Club Caraway. Don't it? Oh man, I love it. Absolutely. Uh we've had there's actually been some really cool stuff happening here, and I feel like you're maybe a little bit more uh uh you could speak to it better than I could. So do you maybe oh, want to sure. give people a little update on what's been going on here?
0: Yeah. I, I also want to touch on, you know, we took last week off by intention. We just thought it was, you know, Labor Day week. Oh, yeah. Parents, I was going to get there. Getting back in the swing. Kids are back in school. Um, but, no, that's also part and parcel. We had a, our first major um, event that I organized for this facility here in the Twin Cities. Uh, we did a, a high-level exclusive dream like omakase dinner with like really cool shipped in ingredients of of all variation, uni, A5 Wagyu, um, super fatty, Toro, Ooh. black truffle, caviar. So it was super high oh. level. And it was uh, by Bosca, who will uh, inevitably be a, a guest on this Has program as well. Master Sushi Chef, the guy's a stud. Um, and we had an absolute blast. I, I also wanted to, because we spend so much time down here and we bring it up in passing, and for the most part, it, it is a private club yeah. for which you can inquire about membership. If you'd like to consider being a member, we tag it in all of our posts uh, in the location bar. But uh, another thing I wanted to bring up is if you're local or visiting the area for business, um, as the event coordinator here is one of my 19 hats that I wear. It's my, one of my new positions. He looks really um, funny with lots of hats on. I do. Like a big stack of hats are all perfectly aligned. <laughs> like, they're all bowler caps, different colors. It's super weird. But if you're looking to have some sort of like a a business meeting or you want to come down where we're seated presently and where we record most of our um, productions and enjoy some cigars with some like people in your organization or some friends or have a bachelorette party or um, just like book your own private high level dinner, even with Chef Bosca, um, we do rent the space out and you can feel welcome to reach out to me on my website. My personal Instagram page, Um, It Came From the Sea, if you are not already aware, if you'd like to inquire about... That's the name, not...
1: Instagram did not come from the sea, but his... I did. Instagram handle. The Mediterranean, in fact. (laughs) Yeah.
0: um, At It Came From the Sea, if you want to shoot me a message about having some sort of a little get together here.
1: And going off the Labor Day thing, too, uh, as everybody out there listening knows, you know, we're coming into to the autumn season, which then sort of rolls right into the holiday season. So there's going to be some weeks where it's either not possible because all of the guests that we have coming up have other things going on, family stuff. Uh, you know, restaurants really turn up and kind of start cranking stuff out then. So there probably will be a few more weeks. We're going to do the best we can to kind of load up, but we'll let you know every time. But again, just wanted to let you know, there's probably going to be a few more of those this fall where scheduling just gets a little tough.
0: We're also trying to be better about notifying listeners because we know that our listenership is much larger than our social media following. Correct. Um, The social media following is mostly local, but we have international listeners. We just want to be more proactive about saying like we're not going to be on next week if you're a regular listener then you'll be notified about that Uh, we've been we've done I want to pat us on the back for doing such a great job in the last several months of being very consistent yeah it's probably like actually surprising to people now when we are not on the air because we've been very consistent with recording so we'll do our best to be consistent and we'll try to let you know when we are <laughs> not going to be here, now
1: I want to put out a fake episode where we just go "gotcha" and then it's mm-hmm.
0: over. <laughs> we can always do. We can always. We can always record a thirty-second clip to say like, "Actually, we're not doing an episode this week, and here's why. See yep. you next week. Yeah, like, you know, Maybe we might do that, that in the future as well. Yeah, little so, yeah. ideas. Uh, we we did say we also want to get back into the swing of saying. Six shots, six topics six of conversation. topics conversation, baby. That's uh let's let's go. Let's we are it.
1: sipping thoughts. Wait, sipping shots and sharing thoughts. Yeah. I always fuck that but up. It's
0: funny how we screw that up when we have barely had anything to drink. Correct.
1: Yeah. But maybe <laughs> you, you
0: will get it, you will get it right by the last one. That's <laughs> yes. right. Yeah. We're drinking all this to be able to say that ten times <laughs> ten, <laughs> 10 <laughs> times in a row. It works, it works for me. But
1: uh <laughs> you've made it this far, you've heard a third voice here, a fantastic voice from a human that both Charles and I have been looking to have on the show for for quite a while. Uh, Would you be kind enough to introduce yourself to everyone out there and let them know what you do?
2: Uh, My name is Gustavo Romero, and uh, I'm the chef owner of Nixta Tortilleria in Northeast Minneapolis. And uh, we make tortillas and tacos, guys.
1: And literally the best that you will find. Like, watching people eat one of your tortillas for the first time is always like a joy, because I remember the first time that I got to have one and you see it on other people's faces yeah. as they as they eat it as they take that first bite and you see especially people that maybe have only <clears throat> purchased prepackaged uh preservative filled stuff like from a, a grocery store the first time that they actually have something that was like handmade with love like that is it's a beautiful thing to behold
0: thank you thank you is a reason it's frequently referenced on the program yeah here. absolutely
1: yeah. um Speaking of those tortillas, do you want to talk a little bit about like where the name Nixta comes from? Because I think that that's something that maybe mm. maybe people do know about, uh, but also they want to hear a little bit more, and also maybe yeah. people just have no idea.
2: Yeah, you know, we 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 want to define a name that was short, and uh, to me, the the process of of turning uh, the corn into something playable and and edible and and um, to me, that's that's kind of like the the main idea of what we do, like corn, is sort of hard, right? But what we do in uh, at Nixta is, is we wanna we wanna embrace the process and we wanna to transform the idea that people had about tortillas and corn. Uh, so Nixta comes just we wanted to have something that was relatable. So malization or Nixtamal—that's the process that that is is used for uh, for generations to cook corn, and then we just cut it on the middle. So. That's that's where Nixta came out from. Um, we wanna we wanna have something that people can can say because if you go into the Nahuatl language, it's a lot of other words that you can use, like Lashkali or that means tortillas in Nahuatl. That I was like, nobody's gonna say that. Like <laughs> everybody's gonna. <laughs> and like sometimes I can even say it. You know, I need to have like three more shots. <laughs> uh, uh, but yeah, no, it really like I want we wanna wanted have something that it was easier. was easy. and even even now we have some people that are, like come to us and be like, you saying it wrong. You're supposed to say Nishta. I'm like, are you now what? <laughs> <laughs> like, like, where does this come from? Uh, yeah. No, you know, we we really like the name. Um, it's, it's, it's a name that that it was easier, and and and, yeah. and then we kind of figured the as as people get to understand what we did, it, it, was, it was gonna be easy for them to remember.
1: And then if I'm if I'm right, like that that um, that bathing process with the corn also. Uh, it gives it more protein, and it uh, it also makes it, like, easier to digest for the human body. Right.
2: It's like it, start, it starts the process of digestion pretty much for you as um, it, it alkalinizes the corn.
0: In That's a way why I can to, eat 30 of them, huh?
2: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, you know, you'll be surprised. Uh, you know, I, I have people that have come to us and be like, you know, I used to buy a pack of tortillas, and then we used to put it down between my family. You know, and it's like you, those packs of tortillas, they are three dozen or four dozen. Yeah. Uh, She's so like, you know, I eat two or three of your tortillas, and I feel satisfied. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, it's, it's the whole process, and it's the whole idea of um, the, the 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 product that we had in the market. It was not a representation of a, of a good tortilla. Yeah. And during these two years that we've been open, you you come to find out that, that a lot of people never had a good tortilla, and and that's where 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 what you mentioned uh, where You know, you you see somebody eating the tortilla for the first time, and it's like, what is this? Like, I never have anything that even resembles this. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have people that come back, and they're like, are these flour tortillas? You know, because they're so different. And and I think that that's that's what is very rewarding for us when we're doing this. Like, we want to have something that, that
0: you can say, like, okay, this is Mexican food. Like, this is it. Yeah, that's wonderful. I mean, it's it's not even an insult. It's an access thing. It's just where were people able to yep. get good tortillas for the longest time in, in this marketplace and in many marketplaces? Because frequently when y- you're brought up and when Nix is brought up on the program, we're talking about the, you know, several food producers in this marketplace that are revolutionizing different types of foods and, and access in the Midwest, namely in the Twin Cities. And you come up every time because it's just, it's, it's new to us. Mm -hmm. I couldn't go to the store and get these tortillas. Now I got them in my fridge Mm because I went and got some at Eastside co-op yesterday to, for the pig that I'm going to roast tomorrow.
1: It's so awesome. And you know, obviously like this has all happened really in the last couple of years uh, where you, you opened a very successful small business during the pandemic, which is just wild to me anyway. But uh, on top of that, like, I feel like I heard Stephanie Marsh talking about you in like when you when you moved to the U.S. You were in your late teens, is that right? Mm-hmm. And then did you bounce kind of all over in restaurants, or how did how did how did you end up in Minnesota? Uh,
2: well, my wife brought me here. Uh, we we met in San Francisco. Uh, we were working together, and mm. you know, I kind of trying to get her to move to a lot of different places, and she was like, "Nope." <laughs> here. No, you know her. Her family's here, and, and all the places that I wanted to live, um, they were they were kind of difficult to 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 create a, a life and a family, right? Sure. So mm-hmm. I was trying San Francisco and Boston and and Chicago, and New York, and it's like mm-hmm. every time I mentioned any of those names, she was like, uh, "Okay, so we'll never have a house. Yeah, we'll never have kids. We'll never have." Anything really, like all you're gonna do is work, and I was like, Yeah, you know, um, you know, as you get get older, (laughs) yeah, Yeah. as you get older, the mentality changes a lot, you know, um, sure, but yeah, that's 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 how that's how I ended up here. Uh, I had the opportunity because of cooking, uh, to travel a lot. Mm. Um, I realized that I can go anywhere in the world, and then I spoke the one language that everybody speaks, and that's cooking. So, I can go anywhere in the world and I can for sure at least eat. For sure. I can go be like, yeah, I wash dishes or, you know, I take the trash out. I do something, you know. There's restaurants everywhere. And it's it's always, you know, willingness to learn on my part. And that's how I ended up in so many places.
1: I I mean, my my first, no, I shouldn't say my first, my second job, I I technically got my first paycheck from a carpet factory. And I realized really quickly that that was not going to be my jam. Okay. But uh, my first, uh, what Let's I would call my... That f-
0: one. Let's leave that one up to the imagination. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, <laughs> I
1: was moving carpet. Uh, but yeah, I was 15 years old and I was a dishwasher at Baker Square. And the job, not glamorous at all. And it was really hard work. And you're when you're washing dishes, you're usually by yourself. There's not usually another person over there talking to you. Mm-hmm. But I still felt like I was a part of the fabric of everybody in back of the house. And I could hear the guys joking about stuff. And they were all somewhere between five and 10 years older than me. Yep. So like, sometimes I didn't know what they were talking about, but I like knew enough, like when to laugh. And you felt like you're, you're a part of that family. <laughs> and then we had a, a bus boy that ended up just walking out. And so I was doing half and half. I was bussing tables and then I was washing dishes. And then i met the front of house and it was a different family, but it was still a family. And that, that, Whatever that attachment is, that need to feel like I belong to a family of people that I'm not related to, that never went away. And everything else that I did outside of the service industry, I really never found the same camaraderie, that same family vibe. And I think that's part of the reason that restaurants still call to me like that, where I love like walking in. You kind of look around and you try and figure out like. How everything flows?: yeah, wh- who's, yeah. yep, yep. <laughs> who's the what? Who's the wise ass? Yep. Who's the one that gets away with not doing anything? Who's working twice as hard than everybody else around I'm Like, I love trying to figure out those people and, and what's going on, and if it's an open kitchen, same thing, just trying to see like what the vibe is, because mm-hmm. it all, it's all different shades of like the same family. Mm-hmm. It's the same dumb discussions, it's the same terrible jokes. You know but like everybody just puts their own spin on it. And I think that that's something, like you said, you can go anywhere in the world, it doesn't matter what country you're in, you'll still be able to see all of those same similarities. And it's just a beautiful thing about this industry. Love
0: it. Uh, Heck yeah.
1: Should we have some, some sips?
0: Yeah, what are we drinking?
1: So uh, I went to a local liquor store, uh, it's called France 44, and uh, Dylan there has always steered me right when it comes to things in the agave family. Uh, and this is uh, Diaz Brothers Espadin, um, It's a Mezcal. They, um, they are working with a nonprofit that focuses on, um, sustainability and, um, and raising average incomes in different areas. And they're buying up, um, different small batches from Mezcaleros and then they're blending and, and aging. And he just said for bang for the buck, this is one of his favorite bottles right now. Um, and it kind of goes up from there. As far as I know, in our market, there are four, there may be as many as six different expressions right now. Uh, but, as if all of that wasn't amazing, my favorite part is that whenever they buy a batch uh, from a mezcalero, they'll ask if, any, if there's any kids in the family, and if they are, they'll pay them for the artwork. And on the back of the bottle, oh, uh, you can see it's one of, the, one of the mezcaleros, it's one of their children's drawings. So once I saw the horse with rainbow hair, I was like, okay, I got to buy this. Yeah. I absolutely <laughs> have to buy this.
0: Yeah, I, I've never had this in. It uh, it looks interesting, and I'm excited to give it a shot. Well, salut, oh, Salute, guys! Cheers.
1: Oh yeah. Oh, love it. That's beautiful. Yes. Yeah. That Fun. Nice. Yeah. Cool. Like metallic pink label, um, for sure. Like, ask around. Uh, the company is headquartered out of Chicago, so anybody in our Chicago market. Mm. Um, I'll we'll tag it in the episode. I can't remember um the brother who is kind of running this company, his brother started Dark Matter Coffee oh, in really? Chicago. Yeah. Okay.
0: Dark Matter's huge. Yeah. And uh and they're, they're distributed all over the US.
1: The next project that they're working on is is something involving mezcal and coffee. Mm-hmm. Uh they're being a little bit coy about it as far as I
0: know, so Love it. Love seeing more of that. Yeah. Uh, when I saw Diaz brothers, I was like, <laughs> "They <can make> Diaz? <laughs> the fighters?" They <laughs> They seem to like weed more than they like Mezcal, but all right.
1: You never know. I mean, as somebody who likes both weed and Mezcal, they go really well together.
0: It
2: they, they goes really well. It yeah. <laughs> goes really well. It's, it's some people do some amazing stuff over there.
1: <laughs> I'm also really happy I don't have to say allegedly on this show anymore. Technically not. Allegedly, you don't <laughs> allegedly, have to say allegedly. Allegedly, I like uh, THC and Mezcal. Uh, okay.
0: <laughs> no more. We'll save it for the shrooms. Right? Yeah, exactly. Okay, well, speaking of things we love. Let's roll into a topic number one, Gustavo. Uh, you've heard of Corn Kid? Everyone's heard of Corn Kid. I figure we better uh, commit this to the record. I, I do it's need to just point out. I probably. just found
1: out about this kid last week. Wow! I had seen references, and I finally like I got sick of like nodding yeah. and not knowing what people were talking about, and I went and looked it up. Yeah. Amazing.
0: When I when I shared that video, that was like a month ago, and I hadn't I hadn't seen anyone else post it. And yeah. It was two weeks later that it was just fucking everywhere, to the point of like. I have a friend who is, he likes try to he tries to pick at you by saying it's corn, it's got the juice. Like he'll yell at you, like please, I, you know. Please stop. I have people
2: that did reference to that to me. Yeah, and I
0: didn't know what they were talking about. Okay, did you see the video or no? I don't think so. All right, well, so basically it's this video, like TLDL. It's a, it's a video of this kid who just really loves corn. Bless his heart, this little kid. He's talking about it like he like he works for like the corn conglomerate of the United States or yeah. something it's absolutely adorable the only thing worth seeing is just never mind all the memes just watch the video it's so adorable um, it,
1: it's really cute. And then of course it got, uh, they did the <laughs> auto tune into a song. Yeah, of course. And then okay. that exploded. I got, it. I
2: got that. I got the sound sent to me. Yeah. They're like, oh. listen to this. So I, yeah, you're like, I, go I, back. I heard. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just haven't seen it.
1: So it's basically the origin of it is just, there's just a kid who really loves corn, That's like it. roasted corn.
0: That's all you gotta know. This kid just loves corn. So you've heard of, or may not have heard of the corn kid. Uh, but he loves corn. That's obviously what, what the thesis statement is here. Uh Either you were the OG kid, possibly, but when you were a kid, uh, which kid would you have been? Were you morbidly obsessed with any specific fruit or vegetable when you were a kid that like your parents couldn't keep out of your hands?
2: Oh, man, Uh, I didn't like vegetables, so um, I was a very weird eating kid. A lot of kids don't like vegetables. I eat a lot of ketchup (laughs) Uh, and a lot of eggs. Oh, all right. So yeah, so okay. my mom, my mom egg stopped. Kid. Yeah, so my mom <laughs> would cook for the family, right? And then when she would cook vegetables, and then I didn't want to eat, she'd be like, "Okay, well, just cook yourself something." So I learned how to make omelets, where you put a fry a tortilla and you you beat the eggs, you crack it, and because it has the tortilla crispy, it's easy to flip. Oh. So it's like it, like I was I was making an omelet with a tortilla in there. I didn't know, yeah. and then I was smothered it with ketchup.
0: Yeah, and then I would eat
2: that uh, like I don't know, like four times a week. <laughs> That's amazing. It was every awesome. time that my mom would cook vegetables, I would be like, no, I'm gonna do this. Uh, but going to the the corn kid, I, I grew up like around around corn, and and I don't know how to swim. Uh, we don't we don't have any anywhere really to swim. Like sure, central Mexico is like unless you you have the means to go to a a, a pool, um, you know. Because you're, you're
1: from Hidalgo? yep, like yep. which is like just north of Mexico City, right? Uh-huh. Okay.
2: Uh, but my my grandparents or my great grandparents, uh, they have these huge cornfields, and they have these huge like boxes where when they pull the the corn, uh, they keep them there, and then that was our pool. So we used to jump into these things, and it's like a like a marble oh, kind yeah. of box, uh, and then we used to play a lot. So I. Like, I don't have a lot of memories about my childhood, but I remember jumping into the corn.
1: I so we had the same we had the same thing. There were some uh, family friends that had the farm next to my great grandfather's farm, and they had like a a giant like corrugated aluminum like silo, and that's where all of the dried like processed uh, de cobbed corn would go. And yeah, absolutely, like that was the coolest thing ever because you. I was. I always felt like, um, like I was Scrooge McDuck when he's yep. swimming yeah, through his gold back. coins. Yep. <laughs> yep. Yeah, exactly. but, but it was corn kernels.
0: I didn't know this was a thing.
1: Yep. Yeah, absolutely. That's you interesting. Come out all dusty. Oh he's yeah, got corn yeah. You dust. look
0: like you look like yeah, like spouted <laughs> everything. Yeah, <laughs> it was <laughs> crazy,
2: it's, it's gross, but yeah, it's super fun. So I, I love corn. I always love corn, man. It, yeah. It's like, you know, I. That was that was one of the memories that like. It's always been there. And then for, I don't know, like 10 years of my life, every day when I came out from school, it was like, I would come home, I would drop my bag and my mom would hand me money and I would go and stay online to get tortillas. Um, and then tortillerias back in the day in Mexico, uh, they, like you would get on line and then you would see the guys like bringing down the corn from the, the trucks and you see where they cook it and you see how they were grinding it. And you see how they would grab the masa and they would throw it into oh, the wow. machine. And, and it was there. Like it was like you can see the whole process. So you waiting in line and you don't have nothing else to do but see these people working. Yeah. So, you know, it's like it, it, it was all there for all these years.
1: That smell had to be incredible. Yeah. Like just taking all that in and just processing all of that incredible flavors in the air. Well, oh, that's that just sounds like heaven.
2: It was, it was yes. just, I mean, and then you get into, pick up your tortillas. They usually have a salt shaker there. So they weigh your tortillas, and then you grab the one on the top, you put a little bit of salt, and then you roll it, and then you walk home with your tortillas eating one. Charming. Yes! Like that's, that's, it's
1: just like, that's what you do. Yes! Mm-hmm. That sounds amazing. So oh, my God.
2: Yeah, man. I mean, you know, a, a lot of the times, like, we have this really – uh that we say that you know people think that it's a little cliche but uh you know we always say like we're the sons of the corn Mm. and and you know the mayans and the and the aztecs they believe that they believe they uh, through their stories and like their their stuff that they left behind like corn has always been the base of of what we are and and our civilization and our culture um yeah and and you know like corn was huge for a long time Obviously, the Mexican uh, government has done really poorly job, like, trying to maintain it. And then, you know, they, they, they did stop Monsanto from going there, which is probably about the only good thing they yeah. have done in, in many years. But, uh, yeah, man, corn corn for Mexican people is, like, is, is what we do.
0: You know, it's it's life. There's a lot of beautiful, historic um, murals and pieces of art at the Museum of Anthropology. Yeah, the Anthropology that Museum. The history of corn and of nice and, and tortilla making. Like I took a photo of this one that basically it shows the entire process in illustration form from like growing the seed to making the taco, which is, it's, it's a beautiful piece of art. That's amazing. I didn't fully, I couldn't fully understand what I was looking at at first. Cause I started at the top and I was very slowly making my way down. And Marnie was like, Oh, that's, it's the whole process of, of making tortilla. And I was like, Spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to get there. Because <laughs> everyone knows how much I hate spoilers. No, there's, there's so much so much artwork that had to do with that. It's incredible. <laughs> I still love... No spoilers at the museum. Yeah. <laughs> of
1: course. You're going to hate the next room. I will get there, okay? Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Give me a minute. For me, I mean, a lot of it, the stuff that I really stand for was, was junk food related because my mom... Went through a really, really, uh, like ahead of her time, like trying to focus on local farming and organic stuff. So we didn't have a lot of junk food in our house. So most of the stuff that I really went insane for was um, like Stouffer's French bread pizzas. You went cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs? Yeah. Well, that was when we never got in the house. Like okay. I never had sugar sweet. So you would have. I would have 100%. Yeah. Um, but it was it was mostly like every now and then if my mom just wasn't gonna have time and she would grab something fast like mm. that was the stuff that I would go nuts for. But I do um, I still have a huge emotional attachment. My grandmother used to make um, strawberry rhubarb jam, mm. and um, yeah. the Scandinavian version of a tortilla is lefse. Lefse, yeah. And uh, I would I I everyone in my family looked at me in horror, but I would put. Cold butter and strawberry rhubarb jam on it and roll it up. And I would eat Yo, that as, that's a Lebanese as a Lebanese-Minnesotan thing right there. Oh, man. Yeah. My mom would yeah. make
0: strawberry rhubarb jam. And we do cold butter on flatbread, pita bread, whichever one we had baked at the time. Exact same thing. Cold butter and jam, yep. roll it up. And that's a big thing in Lebanon with, um, because apricot jam and quince jam sure. and fig jam are, like, pretty much those are, like, the three... Yep, those are their jams. Those are the jams. But that's what you do is you, put, <laughs> you, do, you do cold butter yep. that you're like pushing as hard as you can yeah. to get it to smear. And but that's great because sometimes you don't get a whole so lot good. and then sometimes you get like a big chunk of cold
1: butter and yeah. that's just like the best. A little salty,
0: a little sweet. Yeah, it's so well, good.
1: And I, as I got older and as I started to understand my palate and I started to understand mixing of flavors, uh, what I realized was I think the reason that I loved... Um, the strawberry rhubarb jam so much was because it was the only thing in, you know, in in uh, in US food culture, we over sugar so many things. And it was the only thing that had acid. Like our grape jam was just sweet. Yeah, the raspberry almonds. jam was just sweet. That strawberry rhubarb actually had like a, a sour tart bite yeah, to sure. it. Right. So you got the sweetness from the sugar and a little bit of the strawberry. You had the the tartness from the rhubarb. And then you had that like fatty, kind of salty uh, unctuousness from the butter all rolled up in this super soft potato envelope and the whole thing all together. Like now thinking about balancing flavors and what you want to put on a plate, like, Oh no, all of that still works. Like I 100% still love that. It's not something that ever went away from me. I just don't make strawberry rhubarb jam as much because I don't have access. I don't have a garden with rhubarb in it
0: anymore. Yeah. That's a, that's an interesting point. Like, which is the Lebanese fig jam traditionally has sesame seeds and like some other nuts in it, whether that be like walnuts or pistachio or something. So you get like a nuttiness and like the little pop of, of sesame seeds. Not everyone does it that way. But there's also the seeds from the figs that have like the pop to them, but having the nuts in there as well. That stuff I find to be really sweet. When, I, when I'm in Lebanon and they're making it, like I've seen my aunts make it, I was telling them like, can you make me a little bit with less sugar in it? Because they make it like really, really sweet. Mm-hmm. That's a good point about the, the acid quality. The acid,
2: yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Charles, what about you? Uh, the reason this question occurred to me wasn't because a corn kid, it just contextualized it for me and it's- you It's know, got the juice. topical, it's, it's got, the, got juice. the juice, right? It's so funny because I have
2: like 10 people sending me <laughs> you got the juice yeah. and i was like yeah. which juice think? what are you, what? Talking, what are you about? talking about
0: no we don't have any <laughs> corn juice if you, if you
2: listen yeah. and you sent me that I explain what you did they're right. like do you
0: think that's a so byproduct make make of our process crazy. that we have yeah i was like i can juice? i
1: guess i can juice some
0: yeah you start bottling it we got the juice <laughs> we got the juice ju- do you want the juice <laughs> <laughs> so when i was a kid um, well okay there's a photo of me as a um, a toddler chubby little toddler Sitting with my legs splayed out, wearing a tank top, um, like a perfectly 80s style tank top with like the red brim uh, uh, on it. Oh, yeah. And I'm holding a giant cucumber and just fucking chomping <laughs> on it. And I know when I was a kid, I, I loved fruits and vegetables. And um, often I would make a lunch of just grabbing, like when I'd bake bread with my mom, I would take a fresh loaf and i just walk through the garden I'd grab a tomato, and I'd grab some green onions and a cucumber, some radishes, and I'd, and some herbs, and I would just, like, cut them all up and then roll them up. And then I'd, like, walk out to play basketball with my friends, and they'd be like, what the fuck are you eating? They'd be like, what are you eating? So I love vegetables, but I guess, for me, I would have to be the, the cute kid because... Uh, Marnie pointed that out to me. She was like, "You call me the Tater Gator. You're the cute Kid because of the photo of you chomping on that giant cucumber. cucumber.
1: I mean, the Cucumber Kid actually <laughs> is. Gumming it. That's kind of a like a, a boss name. Like it's sure. got the it's got the yeah, alliteration. Got the alliteration. Yeah. You know, it makes you feel like maybe you're saying something a little naughty,
0: but it's super innocent. Yeah. Like <laughs> so no, no. Let me that. show you this
1: picture. Yeah, exactly.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> I feel like I remember that I loved tomatoes the most, most when I was a kid, but. When my mom showed us that photo that I don't think I'd ever seen, she was like, oh, we couldn't keep cucumbers out of your hand. You'd see one on a table and you'd be pawing at it like, that's mine. Like, grab it, I'm using that for a salad, but I guess now it's yours. Now and it's your snack. Kind of stumble into the living room and fall over on the floor and just gum it, chomp on it.
1: I, uh, I had an ex-girlfriend in high school uh, who's no longer with us, uh, RIP, but she, uh, she ate, she got obsessed with baby carrots. And she ate so many carrots that her fingers all turned orange, and that really freaked me out about getting obsessed with anything. <laughs> yeah, like it, honestly, I don't want to turn green. Yeah, she
0: like Cheeto fingers from yeah baby carrots.
1: She had to go to the doctor, and we were still seeing each other at the time. And the doctor was like, "You, how 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 many carrots are you eating in a day?" Oh wow! And it was like literally like fifteen to twenty, and uh, her. I mean her fingers and toes all started turning orange.
2: I feel Um, like if I smoke enough, like I can put down one of those little bags. Yeah, absolutely.
1: A hundred percent. But it like, it got so far into my subconscious that anytime I caught myself obsessing over any food, I would immediately cut it off and move to something else because Mm -hmm. I was so afraid that it would somehow like, express itself physically on me turns out it was just alcohol in the spare tire that goes around me that was, that was the real thing that was expressing itself on me <laughs> well,
0: we had carrots to feed to get the beautiful orange yolks out of mm-hmm. chicken eggs because people love that yep. i love it i'm like ooh, look how orange the yolk mm-hmm. is it must be better right <laughs> yep. yeah yeah
2: true
1: i'm uh i have a uh going back to your uh when you were talking about corn, um, I have a dinner party coming up and I'm really excited about, I was trying to figure out how to tie in, we're doing like a Cajun seafood boil and I was trying to figure out how to tie in something from that. And what I'm going to do is uh, take some of the, the fresh sweet corn and I'm going to do a sweet corn cream ice cream. Like I'm going to simmer the, the, corn the corn in the cream and then use that to make ice cream. And then um, we're doing like a Cajun crumble across the top. So it'll be like all the sweetness there, and then there'll be a little bite of salt and a little bit of heat with that. And I'm the more I
0: think about it, the more excited I get. Corn cream, Cajun crumble. There you yeah, go with your alliteration.
1: See, it was we are going back and forth. We were either going to do the crumble across the top, or we were actually going to do like fresh fried tortillas and then do like a cinnamon sugar on them. Yeah, and kind of scoop that way. Yeah, sounds, but yeah it sounds really nice. I don't want to have to do fresh fried tortillas when we're on the dessert course. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just want to be done at that point, so right. we're just going to pre-make it and I'm going to crush uh crush up crush some of those up with that cajun in there and then sprinkle it over the top. But yeah, I I guess I do also very much love corn cuz Yeah, I mean we're expressing it three different you know, ways they, in that one, meal.
2: One of the things they, and now they the I've been talking to a lot of people about corn is it, is very very little uh, amount of items they most cultures just love you know although mm-hmm. the most cultures just have yep. or they understand um i had this really interesting uh conversation uh at, at, at the farmer's market with uh, a Hmong uh, farmer where i was just like i'm she asked me because i buy a full thing a, a, a whole bucket of corn and mm-hmm. it's completely different. It's kinda like uh a little uh like gummy almost. Oh, sure. Uh and it's beautiful. It's like like blue and white. And the way that we that we do our skit is I like texture. I, I you know, I don't want everything that like that feels the same because yeah. mm-hmm. you know, you palette kinda gets tired and, and I want you to have some excitement there. Uh, so we, we use it for that. And she was asking me what I was going to do with it. And I told her and she was like, no, that's, that's, this just not how you how you do it. Ah. And, and I was like, well, how would you do it? Right. And, and being able to have these conversations and, you know, I'm pretty sure like everybody kind of does it different. Mm-hmm. And, and the more that I talk with people about corn, the more you realize, like, first of all, I don't know anything about corn. <laughs> you know, as much as, as much as I think that I know, I yeah. just don't know. Uh, and, and it like I don't, I don't know a lot of foods that, that you can relate so much with so many people or have a conversation about. Well, how will you cook it, right? Right. Um, you know, just another reason why I love corn.
0: Yeah, corns, uh, corn, rice, beans, uh, wheat, like those, mm-hmm. those like grains and 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 vegetables and legumes used widely but used differently everywhere. It's Pretty fascinating. But it's,
1: it's what built pretty much all of our modern societies. For sure. Right. You know, without right. that, like, you could be nomadic and follow herds of, of animals around if that's what you wanted. But it was when you figured out a staple that you could raise, you could create a civilization around. And I love, it goes back to what you were saying, Gustavo, that the language of food. It's that language of cooking. Like, everybody speaks that language. You just have to figure out what terms everybody's using. And you can have that conversation with anybody anywhere in the world.
2: And and I think that we we live in a in a time now where people are willing to talk to you, about, yeah. You know, like yeah. I don't think ten years ago, you know, you be able to go to the market and just talk to people and be like, "How are you cook it?" They would look at you like, I don't know, like I don't know you, like what would I right. tell you something, you know? <laughs> right. And and being able to go and and I mean, they see me there a lot, so I think they kind of gather the, you know, they want to keep selling me stuff or. or For or, sure whatever reason that is, but it's good to be able to have those conversations because, you know, I, I, and I, and I talked to her and, and, you know, I want to like, it's like, what's the difference with this corn? Like, what, what, what do you, what do you guys do different? She's like, don't use different seeds. Like, you know, we have our own seeds and they're completely different than us and, and they grow them and they, they, you know, they keep them from, from for generations. And, Mm. and I don't, I don't even know if like, we know that. You know, I didn't. I didn't know we have corn yeah. in, in Minnesota. Yeah, they it had to adapt mm-hmm. to to be able to grow here. You know, mm-hmm. and like you, I, I'll, I have this thing that I that I say a lot, where it's like you know, if you want to understand people's culture, you have to understand why they eat what they eat. Yes, you know, because you then you then you can kind of look back and like see their necessities and see uh, what what they have available, and it's like, oh, what well, they? You know, they, they have to do something to survive and they have to do something they grow and and you know when when I hang out with Yeah, uh, we talk a lot about like the stuff that the his parents grow and, and it's always like so different the the stuff that I seen before, like like color greens, you know. I, I spend a lot of time in the South and the preparation and the way they do it's completely different. But they're also so delicious. They're mm-hmm. like, you know, you can I can pick one from the other, you know, like I yeah, I I spend some time in in Georgia, where like, you know, they put all these like pork flavors, and it's like salty, and 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 it's like cooked for a long time, and it's just like so good. But you taste Gia's fermented greens, and it's just like this is like a mindfuck. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Yeah. I was going to say. I mean, yeah even touched on that in in our episode with him uh, when we had him on. That it really is. You can you can tell the story of a people through their through their food and how what 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 pieces of that food are staples and why do they grow where they grow and how is that woven into everything that they're doing? It's, it's such yeah. a, a beautiful way of looking at it.
0: And more people are listening now than ever because I also frequently remark about the fact that one way that the freedom of information hasn't backfired is yeah. people's curiosity about food. And it's the same thing that people are willing to have conversations like that and people are willing to try new things because you can You can see this is common, this is normal. Mm-hmm. now would you like to try it? Millions of people eat this part of the animal. now you can eat it too, and it's made it so that people are more open to that process yep.
1: Well, and even now that um, now that the internet has sort of democratized it, there's so many other voices that are that are doing it now. like you know if 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 I want to look up um, if I want to look up like a like a Mexican pork stew. Rick Bayless isn't the only face that I will see telling sure. me how to make that. Exactly. Nothing against Rick Bayless. He's a, a, a great chef, and I think he's been a, a good proponent of, of cooking, but that's, it's nice now that you can literally find somebody in a town where that dish originated talking about how they make it and why they make it the way that they do. you got a YouTube
0: video with automatically generated yep. translated English captions. Yep. You yeah. Need that. Like, yeah, it's, it's amazing.
1: That's, That's amazing. Yeah, You're right. That is one of the, f- one of the few things that this internet exactly. has gotten correctly. <laughs> well. Cheers to that. Cheers to being to curious this. and to finding better and better things. All right. Well, kind of going off of that in a slightly different direction. Um, what is a cultural cuisine other than your own that you love to cook? Or – what is one that you wish you had a little bit more experience in cooking or that you're getting more and more curious about trying to, trying to work on?
2: Um, you know, before, before I started cooking Mexican food, uh, I cooked Italian food for about 12 years. Mm. Um, I actually finished school in Italy. Uh, I ended up going there for my externship. Where, where in Italy? Uh, in Florence. Oh, beautiful. Cool. Um, my mentor is Italian. And I have a high respect for for Italian food. Um I mean I have a high respect for all the cuisine just because I, I try to understand everything about the food and, and I know how hard it is. Yeah. And I know all the time that people have to put in to like come up with dishes and how painful sometimes it is to like figure out things, right? Uh so Italian food definitely definitely the other side of my heart. Um I would say like I mean, I don't, I don't do it anymore because my focus and and my, uh, my purpose right now is is like very dear to my roots and 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 what I think they I can do to to promote our culture and 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 um, so I'm focused on that. But Italian food has a has a big part of of me and 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 how I came to love food and uh, and it just you know you find so many similarities, right, with 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 cooking. Uh, the the long time that takes to cook the sauces, the uh, a lot of similarities in the products, and and a lot of the stuff that, that they have that they didn't know that, that they can use. Um, it was very interesting when I was when I was in Florence. I was uh, staying in, in a hotel, and I was uh, in in San Gimigiano, which is between Siena and and Florence. Mm. And then I would take the train to go to Florence every day. Uh, and then every day I walk by, and then they have a peppercorn tree. And then, like, right in the wall, that separate, the restaurant from the from the next building, uh, they have hibiscus uh, oh. flowers. And then they didn't know what they were. They wow. thought they were just, like, um, just, a pretty like just, just a plant. So making them hibiscus tea, we made hibiscus mojitos. It was just, like, yeah. you know, it explode. They were like, yeah. what, what is this? And we had it there the whole time, and we didn't know. Um, you know, it, it's just, like, that part of the 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 cooking and, and the food, the the it kinda sparked this thing in my head that I was like, no, I now I just wanna go to more places because I know I will find something interesting. For sure. Um if I had to choose a food that I would like to know more, I mean there's so many I, I, I don't I feel like the more that, that you know about something, the more you realize you don't know anything. Uh I really don't know anything about like Middle Eastern food and, and a lot of Asian food. I mean, like, I, I, I guess I know how to eat and and, and I, I know how to enjoy some of the food. Yeah, but yeah. it's like I, I, I can never consider myself, like, knowledgeable about those things because I really don't, you mm-hmm. know. I, I was submerged myself into Italian and, and you know, I'm, I'm Mexican, so I grew up eating that type of food. Uh, that's why I'm, I'm, like, brave enough to, like, be able to like say that okay, this is what I what I'm proposing as as a dish, um, but I I you know I, I love learning and I'm I'm passionate about about the products that you can find and I go to you know the Asian market and and I any any store that like I don't know what it is I, I park the car outside and I go in there and and I just ask and, and I grab things and, yeah. and I try and and sometimes you know sometimes it's, not good in the form that they have it, and then I don't know how to use it and 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 you know we set it outside, but you find some gems and yeah. you know, those in those and those places
1: can i can I ask with your Italian background and your education is there is there a singular dish that's like that's a little bit of my heart for my my time in school on a plate like is there one dish that when you like want to show off that you cook
2: is not is that a bit of school though uh, uh, Carbonara carbonata the 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 this just um, my mentor used to make it for us and and he was the only he would only eat it if i made it wow because he was like you make it right
1: that's amazing uh, what a great compliment yeah, and yeah
2: it, it was it was like one of those dishes even my wife you know like every like we make it very rarely um but when we make it it's just like this is it like this is this is this is the ticket uh you know very simple it's just egg and water and you know cheese, mm-hmm. uh, but it's it's like you know the pancetta and the mm-hmm. the uh, the guanciale when when you have it available and 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 he was he was so meticulous in the way that he would make it and you know I kind of learned how to make it that way yeah. and you know he would, like I remember several times have like trying to put it in menus and and he would be like you can you can put it in a menu that's that's not for the people that's that's for the people that is close to you like yeah. you cannot mm. you could. The, the thing that you're eating right now, unless, unless you go and make it on the table, you will never have the same product. And, you know, I, I try it just because I'm, you know. <laughs> a little stubborn. I'm a little stubborn. I'm trying to make variations of it. And, you know, it's one of those things that I, I stopped because I always felt like I was falling short.
1: Sure. If it's not going to be as good as you want it to be, then. Yeah. 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 No, that's, that's fair. Uh, Charles, do you have a, it, again, you can go either way or both with that
0: question. Yeah, we recently have discussed a lot my my background and how, you know, I didn't pursue a vocation in food, so I almost rejected preparing Lebanese food. I, like, left that to the pros, which is my mom or, like, my family in Lebanon. I've been exploring it a little more recently, and I'm excited about that. Um, So I'm going to continue doing that. Um, It might be a little redundant to remark that that's my answer. I would say probably... Historically, the the cuisine that fascinates me the most, and it's another ease, I'm Lebanese, but Japanese. Mm. um, Japanese food is so precise. And it's like the the ingredients that they're using and the preparations they're doing, it's all about like being precise. Mm. It's very exacting. Similarly to uh, Mediterranean food, it's about like, freshness and getting the right ingredients to prepare the thing that you want to prepare and I've always been absolutely fascinated by the processes and and um, the diligence and working really hard to get something so right that you just like pound it over and over repetition repetition to get it exactly the way that you want it to be and right now one of the things that I've been studying really diligently and wanting to Um, hone the craft of. I'm not going to say perfect, but a thing that I really want to do right is a yakitori. You know, I got a yakitori grill. I got binchotan. I made a black lime togarashi. I have all the ingredients to make a tare that I've been plotting out for months. That is the next step for me to make. I want to make a tare and have it be like a mother tare that stays. I bought this beautiful pot where it can live in my fridge and then I can as long as you you know heat it up routinely and use it routinely it'll stay forever uh, i discovered through this process of education that uh, yakitori chefs when they visit yakitori restaurants all throughout the world they will take like a vial sample or a small bottle of the mother tare from some restaurants that have had the same tare they've been using for 50 70 100 years And then they supplement it into theirs so that that they take mm -hmm. a little bit of the spirit and the flavor of that and then supplement it into their own mother tare that they build over time, which, man, that's Mm mind-blowing. It's absolutely fascinating. Yeah.
1: Similar to, like, what the Belgian monks do with the yeast for their beers. Absolutely, right.
0: And, I mean, you know, American breweries that do Mm -hmm. wild cultivations also supplement those. They take them right out of the bottles. They don't even ask permission. Yep. Uh, You know yakitori; it just means grilled chicken. That's what it means. If you have yakitori and it's pork, it's not yakitori, because yakitori means grilled chicken. But having I did not know that. Yeah, it's it. You know, because you wouldn't you wouldn't know it unless you because you know it as something you see as a style on a menu yep. as a preparation. Right, right. And even yakitori restaurants, they'll do like the A five because they want to dazzle you, but that's no longer actually yakitori. It's like the, like, you know, like the hummus thing, right? Sure. <laughs> yep. It's exactly <laughs> the same, yeah, right? Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I agree with that wholeheartedly. And it's, <laughs> the other thing is that, uh, a, a Japanese chef is not going to yell at you for saying you're doing yakitori and you're doing another protein. That's not really, I, I find that they don't really care quite as much, but knowing to, to end my digression, knowing that they're just grilling chicken And it's all about like beautiful butchery and making use of the soft cartilage and the gizzard and the oyster and the Pope's nose and like every single part and making these very precise tiny skewers and grilling them to absolute perfection with the right heat of the coals and the right amount of smoke and fanning it with the hand fan to get the heat higher when you want it higher, to lower it when you want it lower. And knowing that, that art is it's more than just grilling chicken because I consider myself to be very adept at grilling chicken. I'm, I'm proud of how good I am at grilling chicken, but that's, it is grilling chicken, Mm -hmm. but it's a different way. And to get it right, there's a guy on YouTube and Instagram that's really well known. His name's Yakatori Guy. Recently he was doing like, ask me anything, you know, he did an AMA on Instagram and someone told him that his chicken breast, um, he said, your chicken breast is wrong. You need to get color on it. You need it to be, I need some, I want it to have like a color on the outside and I need some see some Maillard reaction. And he said, Um, I I respect that that's the way you enjoy eating it, but that's not the way that you are trained to do it. And that's not yakitori because when you do the breast, you want it to be white. You want it to be white. And he said, also in Japan, it's medium rare. It's raw on the inside. I can't serve that. In San Francisco, right. but in Japan, when they make you the chicken breast yakitori skewer, it's white on the outside, and it's pink on the inside, medium rare. It's like, okay, he was, and he wasn't rude about it. He was just, this is the way that it is done. I want to do it the way that they do it. Yeah. So that's one of the things of like my catalog of like nine things I'm working on right now that I want to get absolutely right. It's also why I've been p- taking my time to to really, like, push myself yeah. to do it. That's, that's really cool, though. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, that's that would be my answer. Kwam, what's your... It's
1: what's funny because <clears throat> I I honestly would have... For how well I've got to know you, uh, by starting the show and then, you know, getting closer as friends, that makes all the sense in the world. And I, I feel like the more that I thought about my answer, it also makes all the sense in the world. I've had a few friends... Um, that have been pushing into more uh, vegetarian, pescatarian, full vegan uh, lifestyles going forward. Mm-hmm. Sometimes for health, sometimes for concern for animals, sometimes whatever it may be. And in trying to figure out how to make sure that if people are coming to my house, I like the way that I show love is is by playing music and cooking food. Like those are the two ways. Like I give a pretty mean hug, but those are really the two ways that like I want to like give you, you know? So if you're at my house, when you're eating something off of my plate, I want you to understand how much I love you by what's on that plate. And I have really, I've started in the last year kind of exploring the entire like Indian subcontinent because within this area, there are so many different storied histories of different peoples and civilizations and histories for cooking. And, for a long time, it was the fact that I just felt like I couldn't access a lot of the ingredients and between a mixture of more boutique shops, actually stocking more interesting things, um, actually having Indian grocery stores like Mm -hmm. opening and, and doing well. And then having, having myself having a more diverse palette so I can start to understand a little bit more what's going on. I love the simmering all day like uh, that beautiful smell that you get from uh, like a, a pot of sauce and whether it's like a, a protein, whether it's meat or like paneer cheese, uh, anything like that, bringing in that warmth and that it's flavor the that can, of all those spices. Yeah. And that can only, it can only peak when it's had hours and hours to really meld together. Um, Because I want everyone sitting around. I want people eating with their hands. I want it maybe not even to look great on the plate, but like as you're scooping it up, you're getting a bite of just like love in everything. And there is something, and I don't know if it's psychosomatic for me, but there is something that expresses itself more when you know that something has been sitting and cooking for hours or days on end. You know, and we talked about, and I think it was our last episode, we talked about the the hatch green chili. Like I did one version in an Instapot and I did one, the long method by roasting the pork and then slow stewing the Chile. And it made a massive difference. Cause of course it did, you know, uh, Sunday gravy, like, uh, a, a, you know, Americanized Italian red sauce. That's, that's my favorite smell. Yeah. When I have that going all day on a Saturday and I know that I'm going to have, you know, some sort of, uh, noodles and red sauce later that night, but your, your house smells like that for nine hours straight. It's the, it's the best. And now adding that layer into it and doing, whether it's like a, a tikka masala or, um, I made a, a goat vindaloo that was so spicy. Like I honestly almost tapped out, but it was so good. I couldn't stop eating it. Um, you know, even that stuff when
0: you accidentally made too spicy. No, that
1: was my green curry okay. that I actually did tap out. I made a green curry that was <laughs> yeah. so hot. I couldn't like my wife finally tapped out. And once she did then I could admit that I also couldn't eat it. Uh, and we we pretended that we were going to doctor it up and, and make it where we just threw it away. It was it was it was just too hot. The pork vindaloo walked right up to that edge. Goat. I mean, goat. sweat going down. Yeah, goat. goat. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I went to uh, Holy Land and they had uh, just some really incredible fresh goat. And brought that home. And again, like I love the fact when you could eat a meal to the point where you're so full, you're uncomfortable. And the next morning you wake up and your house still smells like that and it makes you hungry all over again. Yeah, yeah, that means yeah, you, yeah, you, you, know, you kind of nailed it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and because of how wide and disparate all of these different cooking techniques are and all these different regional flavors are, it, it feels like a never ending well. Yes. to keep going back and finding something else. Like, okay, I feel like I did this pretty well. Now, what would I want to pair that with? Oh, well, let's do this, and then let's try that. And then if we got that, then let's try this. And you just kind of keep building it. Um, but I also love that in those all-day sauces, if you have some spice sounds that are coming over, you can kick that heat up, and all the same flavor comes across. Right. If you have somebody that has maybe a little bit more of a... Um, a cooler palate, should we say somebody who maybe doesn't love spice, you can also do the same thing. And it's that, that long stew time. And then again, it's getting a piece of, of flatbread, getting some naan, just getting in there, some lavash, whatever it may be getting in there and just like rolling it up with your hands tortilla and, and getting it right in your mouth like that. I love that. It's we, sometimes I don't want the formality. Sometimes I want, to get your get your hands in on the love, you know?
2: Well you you making it. You know, for us, when we make mole, uh, it's a two-day process. Mm. Because we learned that if you're trying to do it the traditional way, you will kill your Vitamix. The and they're very expensive. <laughs> yeah. So we kinda play we, we do it backwards, right? So we start with our stock and then we let it start we make our stock first. And then we literally dump everything into the stock, until the stock reduces. So Shit. it's just, it stays in, in the flat top yeah. uh, for two days. And oh. We just keep adding stuff. And then we have our mother mullet. They, we have it since we start. And then we just take it out of the freezer, dump it into the, into the pot, mm. and then just keeps cooking. And it's, it's really funny when you talk about like the long cooking because it gets to the point where the smells tell you that it's done.
1: 100 mm-hmm. percent
2: you know like you get to the point where you like you smell and you're like all right that's it like that's that's the smell mm-hmm. and i don't know if it's your grandma telling you like
0: hey, mijo, yeah <laughs> tapping you on the shoulder you know <laughs> but it's,
2: it's that it's that feel and and, and you know I, I always like cooking is a lot about feelings like if Absolutely. you i don't i don't like to cook angry Mm-mm. i i just don't i just don't do you know i i you know i feel like for me, cooking is a is a, a way to relieve my pains and and you know is the is the one time I forget of everything else that happened in the world. Yep. You know when I'm in front of this of the stovetop and I'm cooking, like all I think is what is in front of me, and it might be yes. a little selfish way to look at it, but it's just what happens. And I, I and, call cooking my therapy. Mm-hmm. And, and to be able to be able to they, they cook something for that long, and and you know we come the next day and then. You know, we we open it and then we smell it, and it's just like, you know, as soon as you walk into the door, like that smell hits you in the face, and Mm -hmm. you're like, no, you hear. You know, like it doesn't matter what happens outside. Correct. You hear.
1: That's it. Oh my God, that's it.
0: What a beautiful thing.
1: Yeah. And now I want to smell that. I want to smell that two day mole. Oh God, that just sounds so good. To mole.
2: Cheers to the mole. by the way Hi. today to if anybody ever asked me what's the one thing i would have for my last meal my answer is, is always mole and a tortilla Ooh. i don't need meat i don't need anything else
1: one of the one of the kindest gifts that i've ever been given uh while i was traveling i was in uh la I've, i think i've talked about it on the show before i was in la uh for uh a movie thing that that uh we were going to and a friend of mine's um aunt and cousins all lived just outside of Los Angeles and they asked if we wanted to come over for dinner and uh his great aunt had her three-day mole on and literally like <laughs> his cousin looked at me like Fuck you man I don't even know you and you're getting some of this like this is wild and we sat there and I, I honestly, like I felt that was the, one of the first times that I remember really feeling like someone else's love just coming through in every bite. And then uh, his uncle grabbed me and brought me into the kitchen and he's like, keep that bite in your mouth, like keep chewing it, but keep that bite in your mouth. We went into the kitchen and he busted out this bottle of tequila that he had brought with from Oaxaca and poured some for me. And he's like, "Now just take these two tastes together. And, I knew that see, I would that's never, love right there. that was it. That's and it, I, I, it. I've, I've yeah, literally felt yourself. that like,
2: I mean, what else, what else do you need? Mm-mm. You
1: know, nothing. That was it. Like I, I walked out of that place so warm and my heart was so full. It, it was just, it was amazing. Like uh, th- those, those are the formative experiences that then you spend the rest of your life kind of chasing Absolutely. and hoping that somebody else feels that way when they sit at your table.
0: Yeah. yeah I mean, mm-hmm. Gustavo, how many people do you think go to Pujol and, they're like, wait, you're going to serve me... Like, even knowing spoil the spoiler, you're going to serve me the mole just with tortilla? How many people go in there thinking that, and then they experience it, and they're like, oh, now I understand. I mean... <laughs> now I understand. You
2: know, Pujol, for me, I went to Pujol 12 years ago, mm-hmm. um, and that's when I was very into Italian food. I, I opened a restaurant in San Francisco. I was doing really well, and then... I went to Mexico City. I went to Pujol. And then this place just completely fucked my brain.
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: It gave me all my childhood foods oh. in a way that it was, that I never seen before. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like the mole, he used to do this barbacoa taco. Uh, mm. if, if, if you're from Hidalgo, barbacoa is like, we own barbacoa. <laughs> like, you eat barbacoa, if you go to Mexico City, as it stands they say barbacoa from Hidalgo, like
0: mm, yeah, like
2: we ha- we own barbacoa, mm-hmm. and this guy gives me this taco that it looks just like a piece of art, and it tastes exactly like the barbacoa from home oh and and it was just like such a like it it, it just it my brain was just like it, it's a different way to do things, yeah, you know for me the experience that I have at Pujol, like, it was, it was a me before that and a me after. Yep. You know, it was wow. like, it was after that, I was just like, no, I'm chasing that. Like, it's a, it's a different way to do things and it's a different way to do things with what I know.
0: What a, that's inspiring. Yeah. It was, it was, it
2: was amazing. It was It was amazing. It I, is. I don't know how, I don't know how good it is now. Like, you know, I think that now they're, they're a little more into, um, more like, new style of food um when i had the opportunity to go there it was it was almost like they were doing a play on all the greatest hits sure. and they would just mm. give it to you in a way that you were not expected and if you were from there like like it could be completely change your mind
0: yeah it's the i you know i didn't go there the first time i went there was a, a month ago but uh, they do. It's very modernistic, but they do still have. Um, you can do the taco omakase, so they just make yep. you tacos, and then you have the the prefix menu. But it's incredibly thoughtful. It's it's artful. It's thoughtful. It's super precise. Speaking of precision, mm. and I was um, well, this was actually a theme throughout uh, CDMX, but not. A, you actually didn't find a lot of meat on prefix menus, like like red meat or pork. It was a lot of now that I look back on the menu um, uh, at Pujol, because I, uh, I was reading it to a friend and talking about how you're not—they're not like giving you meat. Like here, fill up. They're—they're mm-hmm. they're not using. F- meat. It's a fill lot of flavor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're focusing yeah. on like a lot of a lot of like spice and and corn and you know like a lot of vegetables, a lot of insects. I love seeing that now that mm-hmm. they're more freely offering insects to American tourists, mm-hmm. like. Here we go. Age mm-hmm. of information, the accessibility of information, and people being more open to that. It's yep. isn't that beautiful yep. that they can say, "Here, eat some eat mm-hmm. some ants. They're delicious, and they're fucking delicious, by the way." Isn't there isn't there isn't there a sign in in
1: Niksta that's like uh, ask me about the oh we, we have the crickets. chocolate crickets yeah, yeah. yeah. they're delicious so, oh yeah
2: I, I don't know if you you guys remember but uh, I think it was three years ago three years ago. Uh, we did Qua the first yep. time with uh, with yes. travel okay. and, and one of the things that I, I wanted, it, like insects for me is like, we used to have them as a snack. Mm-hmm. And it, I have this like internal fight to try and to prove people that they're good. Because in one side is my head telling me this is something that you eat all the time. Mm-hmm. And then the other side is people that look at me be like, Gross. So you know, I almost like took it up to me to be like, uh, no, we're gonna prove them that they, they're good. Uh, so we have the opportunity to have a, a a menu that you know, if you want it, we can add on uh, insects, mm-hmm. and then people were pretty receptive. Yeah. Either either oh, because it. they already knew, mm-hmm. some people they do it because let's try. Yeah. Uh, but it was it created conversation and. The way the travail works and then the way that you are at the table, it was really interesting to be able to talk to people about insects. And again, it goes back into like, you have to think why people were eating Correct. insects before you think that it's gross. You know, we, we're very lucky with what we have.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, we, we're in a point where our society is like, yeah, you're right, we don't have to eat this anymore. But it was a point in life and in, in, in these cultures where maybe that's all they had.
0: And and just out of
2: respect,
0: you know, you should think about, like, we may need to to eat it again in the not-too-distant future. On a
1: more macro level, like, how is that not any different than, like, people getting ground hamburger from your local grocery store, from cows that spend their entire lives coated in shit in a manure-filled prison, and then, you know, like, who knows what the, the quality of the slaughterhouse, a.k.a. just the giant factory, is, like, the the amount of risk is so much higher in the more traditional like proteins that we have. Whereas something like bugs, like I, I I just don't understand why there's that difference outside of the fact that we've been societally trained that EU bugs are gross.
0: And you know, source, the source matters as well. But people, yeah, people are conditioned to understand that some things are and aren't normal, but one of those things has been consumed for longer than Mm -hmm. the other has. And I, I had a friend remark on, or I guess an acquaintance remark on one of my social media posts when I was in Mexico City saying uh, basically like, ha-ha, dare you to eat some bugs. I'm like, dude, I'm looking for them. Tell me, do you know where? And and then when you get to it, I mean, we have escamoles.
2: I don't know, you got to try escamoles, just like the, the egg larva. They're, yes. It's, oh it's, yeah. There's a lot of them. It, like, I, is it seasonal? Because it's seasonal. They were, they were it, everywhere. Yeah, have,
0: yeah, yeah, it's like in, like in the breeding. I love them. It's caviar. Yeah. yeah they said yeah. we call yeah. it. We call it bug caviar. Yeah. Forgot what they kept. Like everyone would say. Like we call that bug. Caviar. Well, and, and then like, you know mm-hmm. it gets
2: to the point where like you have to like make it seem like something that people will actually try, yeah. right? Like think of with Lacoche, right? Uh-huh. With la cocha, it's like, oh, it's a Mexican truffle. No, it's a fungus. Yeah, right. just like any other mushroom that you eat, just grows in corn. So and, yeah. and it's, it's actually, it, it is has is a cool delicious. flavor because it balances sweetness from the corn yep. to yeah. to the fungus. Like, it, it's, it's, you know, is this thing of like changing the names that sometimes it's like, well, we kind of have to do it because we want people to buy it. And then, you know, we depend on people's money to be able to survive. So we're going to do it. But at some point, like, it gets aggravated to be able to have like. You have to change the names for everything.
1: We uh, we give flowers on the show. We give praise a lot on the show to people that that were uh, rudimentary to us figuring things out. And I, in having this discussion, I gotta say props to uh, Mr. Kofed, who was my Cub Scout leader, who literally dared us because he's you know said real men would eat this. We made uh, we made candies and cookies with crickets, grasshoppers, and worms. And it turned out, yeah, they're all delicious. We loved all of them. And we used to do it every year because we thought it was really funny giving it to other people and watching them freak out. But we already knew they were delicious. And then when people would watch us eat them, then they would go do that. And I think, honestly, I think it was just having that experience when I was in third and fourth grade that once yeah, I saw, like when I was at La Esquina. Probably to him. At yeah, the time. In, in New York City. And they had... Cricket tacos on the menu. I was like, "Let's go!" And everyone else at the table stared at me. I'm like, "Why, why why do you think this is on the menu? It's not like some weird dare. This isn't an episode of Jackass. This is somebody saying this is delicious. And if I'm at a restaurant that's this gorgeous, and somebody in the kitchen says I would love you to eat this, then I'm gonna fucking eat it.
0: Like yeah, that's the, the point. The other dish at Pujol that has been uh, like a standby for a decade on the menu is the Grilled baby corn with the spicy mayo that's sprinkled oh, with the chichatana
2: mayo. Yeah. Oh, it's
0: so fucking good. It's incredible. Dude, and
2: like it comes out in this little in this little squash thing, in the opener it. Yeah. The smoke comes smoke out. Smoke rolls out. It's it's like it's that's the opener, right? Yeah. So it's, it's like you you, you go in there and you get this and and it's the whole idea of the place, man. Like Enrique Enrique did Mexican food would not be what it is without Enrique. And and even you see like some of the top guys in Mexico and even here in the U.S. and they all work for him mm. at some point. You know yeah, they work for somebody. Awesome. They work for him. Amazing. You know we always say that he's like or Thomas Keller.
0: Yeah. Some oh sport. yeah. I mean he's got Cosme. He's got he's. He I don't is. know if he's still
2: involved with with Cosme. I think the I, I it thought was, he was. It was something there, but oh, is that, that very uh, recent? Maybe he, op- he opened one in L.A.
0: Yeah, I don't remember the name of that um, one, but I was trying to tell Marnie's about the place in L.A. He, and then in Cosmo. You know,
2: I, he can do whatever he wants. He's For he's sure. like or godfather. <laughs> uh, he
0: also just seems like a and, wonderful, family-oriented, yeah, I mean, I, I, beautiful person. I have to add a
2: hard conversation. Not a hard conversation. Just a conversation with him. Uh, when I first started working with corn, that's when he opened in New York, and then he bought all the corn from Hacienda. Ooh. All of it. Oh, Wow. <laughs> So, you know, I'm calling Masiana and I'm putting my order and they were like, oh, yeah, we don't have any corn. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like I get corn like every month. And they were like, "Well, you know, Enrique Olvera is opening a, a restaurant, so he bought everything—the
0: <laughs> you know? whole lot." Was yeah? Is it the Corn Palace? Is he building? He's, it? he's oh, building. Corn. You know,
2: <laughs> at, at this at this point, at this point, he Cobb Palace now. At this shaped. point, Masienda was uh, was not as big as it is now. You know, mm. now it's like they they, they do so much, uh, and then I, I have to call him and be like, "Can you spare some corn?" <laughs> and, and you know, he was he was. Nice, you know, I didn't get any corn, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, he, he, he is, <laughs> uh, you know, again, like uh, I'm corn hoarder. Nobody <laughs> <very thankful laughs> him. No, I mean, you know, he's also a businessman and he knows what he does. And, yeah. then, and and he know he was gonna need the corn. I mean, when he opened the place, the place just exploded. I mean, Daniela, Daniela is, is amazing. You know, he and mm-hmm. the, she ended up being best chef you know, in the world, like female chef. And, and it's a lot because of her, but it's also a lot because, you know, the idea the mm-hmm. he brings behind him and, and how he he brings the people that were for him um, to that level, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and he knows that. And, and I think that as a leader, for you to be able to pick these people and put them in a place where they succeed so high, like a lot of the, that's on you. Um, hundred percent. You know, I mean, I I love Daniela. I think she's amazing. I hope she does something soon. I haven't seen a
0: lot of from her, but amazing. Topic number three. Let's go. Let's roll into it. Uh, I'm glad you were talking about earlier um, when you were discussing your wife and the places that you were hoping to move to. I noticed something in common with all of them is that they're a little bit warmer than where we currently reside. <laughs> uh, so this, I'm glad that this question's on the docket. So do you ever think that you'll be a snowbird or have you become like a northerner through and through?
2: Oh man, it, it is it is hard. Um, you know, I, I never live in a place that it was this cold. Mm-hmm. And I always live in places where you can go outside and, and walk <laughs> whenever you want
0: Yeah, whenever you want to yeah, yeah. And, and you take
2: that for granted I, yes. I you know i admit a lot of that um i have to say that i plan a lot of escape ways you know like you have to i'm like all right well now that i have nixta here let's open something in mexico so yeah. i can get the fuck out of here in the yeah. winter <laughs> uh i i'm learning i'm learning to like it, it it's like in my life, I feel like I've been through a lot of adjustments, and this is just another of those things. Uh, it does take a, a little mm. a little hit on me. I do I do notice my change of uh, uh, just the things that I do when the winter is coming. Yeah. Like, you know, I'm not I'm not as bubbly and excited as I like to be, mm. um, but. It's, it's some beauty about about winter here. And it's, it's, and it's some beauty about the way the people that really like winter um, does it. You know, I, I think that I, I haven't given it a chance. You know, it's like the first time. So I, I lived here before before I moved the last time here. I was here for two years. Okay, And then for the two years, all I did was bitch about being here. I was just yeah. like, this fucking sucks. I mean, granted, <laughs> we had like that winter vortex that we had. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. You know, yeah. it was like, I want to go outside and there's these little letters on the bottom of your TV that says, if you outside for more than 50 minutes, motherfucker, you you die. Yep. <laughs> yep. So, I remember that. Uh, but, I feel like, I feel like now it's a little better. Now, my son, you know, he's he's going to grow here.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, how, I I, Can I just say, ha- how old is your son?
2: Uh, he's going to be two years and <gasps> three weeks. Amazing. Uh, and then, that that kid, Wants to do anything, so I know as soon as I put him in the sled and like send him down,
0: yeah. he's gonna
2: have a blast. So now I have to figure it out how my shortcomings doesn't affect him.
1: <laughs> you know, so I mean I I want, think that's that's any parent. I, right? I want
2: I want him to have fun and I want him to grow and I want him to be able to go outside all the time. And mm-hmm. I struggle, man. Like honestly, I I struggle. I don't want to go outside. Mm. I want to go from my house to work from my house to work and I count the days until the song comes out, sure, and I'm not freezing my ass off
0: yeah I'm sure uh, I'm sure. my parents had to probably make a similar adaptation because they're lebanese and i I'm a born and raised Minnesota boy, it's the same thing with your son, he's a Minnesota boy, you know he yeah he grew up in the cold, he was formed in it, so he's it, he's he's bane right yes yeah he, he he was he was born in the cold, I was <laughs> born in the cold, yeah, yeah. so then you have to be you have to. Toughen up and act like it doesn't bother you either. You know, you
2: know? I mean, I'm gonna have to, man. It, it's yeah. like you know, you stop doing things for yourself at some point. Sure. When you have kids. Sure, sure. Um, and you know, I'm I'm very happy that, that I can do it with him because he's he's fearless, you know. And I don't want to be the <laughs>
0: the
2: one to be like, yeah, let's not go outside. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like I feel like. I'm just not gonna look good on him. You know? gotta, it's you just, gotta
1: be the hero for a little longer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you have a DVR recording of the Polar Vortex news.
2: sorry, buddy.
0: Yeah, I think it's gonna help. I
2: think it's gonna help having having a sure. boy that, that is really like willing to do anything and everything. And um, uh, I do, I do, I do want to do something in Mexico eventually. Mm, of course. Uh, I mean, I I see myself retiring in in a beach in Oaxaca and. Uh, not wearing shoes when I'm cooking and because I seen those guys doing it and I'm like, <laughs> Yeah, that's that's what I want, you know. I want the fishermen to come here and be like, this is what I got for you to cook today. Um, I wanna go yeah. to the market and find any possible product that <laughs> I can think of.
0: And any time of year. Uh, right. any time of the year. Okay, so you do so you do mm-hmm. like dream about it, you think about it. I do. I do. I mean who doesn't? Mm-hmm. The line lying, you think, not That's what we're talking about. <laughs> That's what we're talking about. Yeah. Quam, Quam, do you think about it? Is it yeah, you... I,
1: the older that I've gotten, the more that... I've always had a, a, a siren song calling me to go somewhere else. I think that um, I have built a weird, fake existence in uh, a town the size of... Well, two cities, the size of the Twin Cities and the suburbs around it, where uh, because I worked in the bar restaurant scene for so long and then was tied adjacently to the music scene through production and, and DJing that I got to like build this little fiefdom where I could kind of like, I could go in and out of restaurants and say hi to people and high five. And it, it's always given me like a, a little extra security blanket where even when I was moving around the country, opening up bars, I would always come back to Minneapolis because it, it was easy. It was really nice. I love, Having four seasons, I don't love that weird chunk of winter that's like the end of December through the beginning of March where it gets so... It's just painful. Yeah, and you're exhausted, you know? You're like, it's the end of a marathon. You've already been running for months, and now it gets the worst. It gets the absolute coldest, the most desolate. That affects me more the older that I get mm. where it just... The depression sets in a little bit easier. And so... I don't know that I I don't know that I could ever be like a beach person, but I can get into that vibe, and I can definitely I I can make that work. Well, and what what really clicked for me was uh, I was fortunate enough. My wife and I uh, spent some time in Costa Rica, and uh, we met this couple that had opened a bar and restaurant, and she served tables, he cooked and bartended. And they retired down there at 57 and I think 55 and that was just what they did. And like, Mm -hmm. okay, I, I need, I would need a little bit more purpose, I guess, but the closest thing that I could get right now to, I would do this in a heartbeat if the opportunity presented itself is if I could move somewhere that still had four seasons, but shaved off the worst coldest winter days and the hottest, grossest summer days. Mm -hmm. Like it's not necessarily how it's, it's when it's 98 and a hundred percent humidity that I I don't like being here just as much those days in July as I dislike those days in February when it's negative 20.
2: So I, I keep as telling this that I'm going to do this to my wife that I haven't done because I don't want to deal with the consequences. <laughs> but I, I want to get a calendar and mark the ex, the, the days that are actually good Yep, during the year. Yep. And between the little uh, time that we have between – you know summer like winter and summer and then summer than winter yeah maybe we have 30 days yep. you know 15 and yep. 15 where it's like it's nice no mosquitos yep. no rain no extreme heat no extreme cold no snow yep
1: that's that's what i'm looking for is somewhere that i can get more of those days is i want a little bit more spring and fall and a little bit less Crazy hot summer and crazy cold winter.
0: For the record, for listeners that are not local to this area, of which we have many, we had a really nice summer. Yeah, we had a we had a lot of days in seventy degrees. Yep, um, we and got they're more, still coming. We got more rain than we got last year, mm-hmm. which is good, but it wasn't raining all the time. We just had days of rain, which you need as well. Um, but yeah, we had a lot of we had a lot of great mm-hmm. days this, this. summer was a very mm-hmm. satisfying summer. It is. It was. It was a hot started hot. late. Because it was cold it started for late. longer, but the days that we've had in the middle have been really nice.
2: Man, like the the those 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 days that you have it when like like the spring days mm-hmm. when they actually exist, and the autumn like days where it's like, you know, when the 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 leaves start changing and yeah. it's like sixty seven seventy five degrees outside, yep, and it's it's like no mosquitoes. It's Beautiful. like
1: it's like the
0: perfect uh-huh. place
1: and i can get into we're fortunate that fortunate
0: too i want to say yeah. that because i know a lot of places in the country and in the world experiencing some shit not i know. able to get a very nice summer because of climate but so we it have wouldn't a nice summer
1: yeah and i'd still have to come back cuz we have a ton of family here yeah i'm so. talking about snowbirding yeah, yeah well so that's camping. the thing is basically like i i it Which wouldn't be If that be term
0: also is foreign to you as a listener it just means like spending a part spending a season elsewhere and I don't know, does the term have like a duration? It could even mean going somewhere for 15 days. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. It could be like every winter I go here for 15 days. Mm-hmm. I think that qualifies as snowboarding. Sure. Yeah. yeah,
2: so we just sometimes we just need
1: a break. Yep. And that's I mean, it. I just need to see color, I need to feel the air that doesn't hurt. Like, that's, yeah. you know, that that's, a, that I don't, I'm not like asking too some, much. I want my Shake nose hair not to here.
2: freeze. Yes,
1: exactly. Yeah. I want to be able to take a deep breath and not feel like somehow I, I might die. No beardsicles. Yeah, yeah no beards. I, I honestly yeah. don't even mind that so much. I hate when your nose hairs freeze to each other and then you, like, can't move your nose. Like, I, that's the stuff that I, I just can't stand. It's just, it's wild. And then I'm like, why do I, I choose to live here. I could go anywhere, but I still choose to be here. Okay. So that would be, that would be it, is if I could find somewhere that I could live for a chunk of that winter, like mm-hmm. post holidays and then be somewhere else, whether it's working at another business or working remotely, whatever that mm-hmm. may be, I would love that. I would 100%. I would do that tomorrow.
2: Let's go to Require Mexico.
1: Let's go. I'm in. <laughs> I don't
0: mean, matter, you already have the January questions. plan yeah, coming together.
2: January, January to February. Let's go.
0: Yeah. That's part of the reason I wanted to ask this question. When I began Patmos, my, my business that I've had for 14 years, um, as of, October. uh, I had this idea in my head that, well, I'm my own boss and I can go anywhere at any time. No, every client or partner is one of your bosses. So you don't just have a boss, you have a host of bosses. And fortunately, we've been able to select partners that are really great, gracious, kind, easy to work with, fun to work with. And at this point in our maturation, they understand that you're sometimes not going to be in sitting in the office uh, the, the entire idea of snowbirding wasn't really necessarily something that appealed to me until these last few years and winters just feel inherently like a little diceier now with COVID and climate. Change. I don't like to I don't like to spend a lot of time indoors when we have like waves of of a, an infectious disease. It's just I have a disabled brother, and also personally, it's just I don't I don't want to put myself in those positions. So depending on, you know, there have been times where things are good, and hopefully this winter we have a nice, easy winter, and and you know it that isn't as big of an impactor. But regardless of that, I just remember last January, I sort of made a commitment. You know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna be a hermit this this. January and I'm just gonna sit still there's no reason for me to be running all over town I'm gonna do some reading and like working really hard and and cooking and doing things at home but I discovered at the end of that 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 ain't for me son that's not that's not me I can't do it it's just not the way that I'm built mentally biologically whatever you want to call it that's not for me and I started to hatched this plan that okay I have these cool partners that I work with and um, I'm fortunate enough to be in a position that I can depart for some time if I should so choose and so I'm already working toward that this winter I'm going to spend an extended period of time in San Juan Um, I'm, I'm you know working through the particulars right now but it's the more I think about it the more I'm like Man, that's yeah. maybe that's something that I should maybe. I'm excited be, for you. Maybe something I should be doing <laughs> annually, um, whether that be there, like getting a place there, or or renting a place whenever I go, or staying with friends because we have friends in the area. That's something that the idea of it now appeals to me in a way that it, it. If you asked me ten years ago, I would have been like, "No, I I love it here because I do actually enjoy the winters. The actual weather is not as big of an impactor as it is that." Social activities have become a little more difficult. And I do even, you know, despite these last several years, I do find myself in the winter wanting to like shoot off to San Diego for four or five days. Mm -hmm. It's nice. You just get away. You see some color. You absorb some, you know, you can smell things outside. You can Mm -hmm. still smell like flowers and food being cooked and, and things like that and be able to just like take a walk with a cup of coffee in your hand in a way that when we have a polar vortex, You know, you stick one leg out the door and your shoe solid, you know, like that's, uh, that's becoming a little less appealing to me as the days go by. So, yes, I would say that it's something that I'm working toward doing um, in, in this coming winter and perhaps into perpetuity. Yeah.
1: Well, fuck, here's to you guys finding amazing places and then I'll come visit until I figure out (laughs) where the hell I'm going to go. (laughs) Open door policy. Come see me.
0: (laughs) Yeah, why not? I've been telling everybody that. Cheers
1: all right number four uh gustavo talking about like your history with food and how long you've kind of been working on this i love that you touched on on the language of cooking um what is something that now after all of these years and all the things that you've learned what is something now that you wish you could go back and tell yourself as you were starting this journey whether it's some advice or uh some thoughts on on coming back around to to foods that you grew up with i know that's kind of a deep question so if you want to think about that too i can kick that one over to charles
2: um you know i, I think the it's is i think it's two parts of the the response so when you look at it from the from the the cook part of it the part of the, that that kind of keeps you going right I wish that I would write everything that I did. Mm. I, wish oh, that yeah. I, be, I wish that I would have been mm. more careful into understanding that it was gonna be things that I was only gonna do once and yeah. I was never yeah. gonna do it again.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, Great point. I was I was I was very bad about taking notes. I mean, I done so much stuff in twenty years of this career. They I don't remember. Yep. You know, you we relied on 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 the. On our memories, and then obviously with all the things that we do, uh, we we we're not very good at that. So, mm-hmm. you know, from from the from the cook part of it, I think that that's what I would do. Uh, from from the the learning uh, part of it, I think the I would love to learn more or focus more on the systems. Sure. Than what I thought it was gonna help me in my career. I have this I have this conversation with with some young cooks that I that I have the opportunity to talk to, and and a lot of times we go into restaurants thinking that they're gonna teach you how to cook, and then it's not. You might take a recipe from a place that you mm. work, and then you're gonna move to another place, and you might take a technique, and then you're gonna move to another place, and then you're gonna yeah. learn how not to do something, and, yeah. and, and you know. And, and, and it's very the more places you you go the, the more you realize that whatever you learn in that place is not going to help you in any other place and and I think that we focus so much into like learning what the chef is doing and and we want to the the, the kind of swallow all that and then we kind of forget about the important things that is like what allows the chef to do what he does you that's, know, and, that's
1: yeah, that's incredible.
2: And, and I think that, you know, when, when I have the opportunity to, to work with young chefs, I'm like, I'm not going to teach you how to cook. I don't I don't want that. Like, you're going to you're going to develop down your own. If that's what you want to do. Like I want you to learn like respect for kitchen mm-hmm. and, you know, work ethic and, and systems and, and organization and cleanliness and, and all those things. That, they actually put you in the position where you can develop a style of cooking.
1: That's a great way of looking at it. Like, develop the entire, the whole system, like, like you said.
2: It's it just, you know, especially right now, cooking is, a lot of cooking is very short-minded in my, in my head. It's like, if you, if you watch a, a show and then you can read a recipe and then you can make a good dish and then you can make it look pretty, and then you think you're a chef. Yes, and and, yes, and yes. then I think that is is a huge misconception because chef is just not about cooking. As a matter yeah. of fact, the 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 more you get into be a chef is the less you cook. Yeah. You know, and the more that you have to deal with organization and and, and developing people and, and and making people understand what you're thinking and, and why you're putting something in a dish and, yeah. and why you do it the way you do it.
1: More uh, like a like a like a coach or a general manager of like a sports team, right? And like, like creating
2: an environment for them to be able to to do what you ask them to do, uh, and it's really I mean yeah, cooking is like what you do, but it's a lot more. And mm. and a lot I feel like a lot of times young cooks is like they can put a pretty plate and and I, they can make a pretty plate, and they're like I'm the greatest chef that ever existed, <laughs> and they have no idea. Of uh, and and you know then you get into a big position and it's just like a big smack in the face, yep. and, and you know I I think the those are the two things that I would like to learn. That's I've great. been smacked in the face <laughs> several times yeah. just because I I thought I knew a lot. Of course, you know you know you you be in the industry for so long that you think that you know a lot, and and every place is gonna be different, and and a lot of the things that you learn in a place is not gonna help you. You have to learn the place, and you have to learn how the place works, and and you have to like turn everything that you know to make it work for the place. So it's it's all about you know a structure. Yes. If, if you structure, you organize. If you uh, patient, if you pay attention, like you can go to any place and cook, yeah. But just go in there because you know you can put a pretty plate. That's. I don't think it works. Yeah, it was, or at least it has it more for me.
0: Or so many more logistics involved, yeah. cost and efficiency, and spoilage and shelf stableness. You know, my mentor, how many days you need something to last, and how many days it takes to make
2: something. My mentor used to tell me that we can have the best food in the world, but if we don't make money, we have
1: nothing. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, and and it's a huge, right. you know, it's a huge part of it. It's like a lot of times you see you see these dishes. And, and social media, they automatically. I'm like, if he's selling twenty of us, he's broke.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. He, yeah. The that types of terms it. that we, we don't have to think in. You yeah. Know, when we're when we're home cooks and we're having fun.
1: I was listening to this uh, this interview with with Tom Hanks uh, a couple of weeks ago, and he was talking about how. Um, you know, they, they were listing off like all these insane movies that he's been a part of that are, you know, they're staples to our culture. And he was laughing and he's like, you know, the funny part is when I because th- they were asking, is there some like through line to how come you continue to be so successful? And it was he, he had a very long answer, but one of the chunks in there that really stuck with me and is still just floating around in the back of my head is that of all of the amazing, quote unquote, like scenes that he's been in he can remember actual details of maybe 10 of them. But what he always took away from it was, how was the hang with the cast? Like, how did everybody get along? And he can remember every one of those movies that he felt really did well mm-hmm. were the movies where everybody like, knew how to work together and knew how to get along. And not just the actors, but everybody involved in that. And the, the closest thing that I had to that was 17 years in restaurants. And I would say the same thing. You know, like I can remember exactly how to make a few drinks from some great cocktail programs that I've been a part of. I remember how to make a few dishes from some great restaurants I've been a part of. But the places that were the most successful that I worked with, with the exception of a a couple, were the places where the systems were set up for everybody to kind of flourish and for everybody to get along. And when you have a living breathing comfortable environment for everybody it allows everybody's talents to flourish a little bit more you know it's it's planting seeds in fertile soil you're going to have something that grows way better than some arid barren soil because somebody has set up that this is my show and that's all it is and the more that you focus on the whole bracket of everything all together and how it all works the more healthy whatever that product is that you're putting out will be and, you know, I'm sure there's exceptions to that rule, but it was kind of fascinating hearing somebody at, at this point in his career
0: say that, that. Yeah, with the level of achievement. Yeah. For sure.
1: Uh, I mean, Charles, where are you on that?
0: Yeah, in terms of the my adventures over the years in, in cooking at home and my experiments and explorations, I think my lesson would be, um, you know, uh, not just to be unafraid to fail, but to, to dare to fail. Mm. You know, you're never, if snipe me again, you son of a bitch. If you, (laughs) if you're unafraid to fail, that means you're daring to succeed. But if you dare to fail, it means you're doing things that make you uncomfortable and you know that they may not work out. And in actuality, there's a high probability or depending on the level of risk, higher and higher probability of not succeeding. I remember when I was younger and living on my own, I cooked staples, things that are easy to prepare, and I did a fine job of it. My friends thought I was a superstar chef just because I was the one guy that they knew that actually cooked meals at home because we were in our you know, teens and, and early 20s and usually people were just eating out or they'd like get some food from their mom or go eat with their family or something like that, but very seldom would someone I know prepare food. And I remember, those early days of wanting to try things that I didn't know how to do, but I could read a recipe about or like ask somebody or there were a few videos you could watch at that time. But, you know, we're talking about 20 years ago. It wasn't super accessible to watch videos on the internet. And I remember getting everything to make fried chicken for the first time when I was, I think I was maybe 22 the first time I made fried chicken. I remember where I lived and, getting everything and like spreading it out on the counter and having to do like the devil and angel on the shoulders of like just convincing myself to fucking try it. Yeah. I had to talk myself into doing it because the devil on my shoulder was saying, you can't make fried chicken. You fucking idiot. Like that's yeah, not but, easy to do. Yeah, but
2: your willingness to have a good fried chicken one. Right. Yes. Yes. I was (laughs) like, I'm going to have a good (laughs) chicken. (laughs) The
0: other shoulder was, dude, what is the worst that can happen? Chicken's not that expensive. You're not a baller by any means, but chicken and flour and and, uh, hot sauce and the other four or five ingredients that you you procured to prepare this dish in some at the time was probably $15, you know. We're talking about in 2002 or what have you. And I... I talked myself into it and I prepared it and, uh, it was okay. It wasn't great. Like I didn't know how to temp the oil and mm. then you probably shouldn't actually use oil. Cause I later learned all the lessons about brining and the buttermilk and shaking it in a bag if you want the shortcut and then using, um, uh, shortening or lard mm-hmm. in a skillet, and and how hot it should be, and how long it should take, and how some things take longer than others, and you shouldn't crowd the pan. <laughs> I didn't know any of that, of course, shit, right? So yes, I crowded the pan. Yes, I used like fucking canola oil. Um, the flour was probably old; it was in the cupboard for a long time. The chicken was okay, but it was like the waterlogged Tyson's that I got from mm-hmm. a local, you know, commodity grocery store, and. The outside was, you know, burnt in spots. And the inside was a little overcooked. But me and my roommates ate it. They thought I made the greatest fried chicken on planet Earth. And I was like, it was okay, but it could be so much better. And next time, it'll be a little better than it was this time. That's the other thing you need to convince yourself. You're not bad at making fried chicken. You just don't get it yet. But this is the first step to figuring it out. Mm Yeah. Yeah. And... When you're, if you say like, man, I really would like to understand how to make this thing that I think it's possible to make at home. Study, like mm-hmm. what I've been doing with Yagatari, I've been studying, I, I bought a book, I've been reading it diligently, I've been watching lots of videos before I even start. I would just say preparation is key, like making sure that you have all the tools, that obviously, preparation also creates anticipation and sometimes anxiety. Because then you feel like, I should absolutely do a good job because of how hard I studied. In some senses, it makes it even scarier because you feel like all this anticipation should make the end result seven, eight months later fantastic. It might not be, but you have to dare to fail. You have to be prepared for the end result to not be what you anticipated and to say, okay, I'm going to try again. Mm -hmm. Granted, there are also things that it's important to know you probably shouldn't be preparing at home. When we had the omakase here last week, Chef Bosca came down here and enjoyed a beer with us while we had our after-dinner cigar. And um, uh, a gentleman who was joining us asked him, can I make sushi at home? Can I, can I make sushi? And he was being like partly, you know, it's this, this guy who uh, likes to joke, and I couldn't tell if he was serious or not. And, you know, Bosca is good-natured. He was like, yeah, he's, I'm, I'm thinking of teaching classes. You know, like, I, could, I could teach you how to make sushi. And I was like, uh, chef, correct me if I'm wrong, but the key, at least my understanding of it, because I used to try to make sushi at home and realized that it's not always wise to attempt to do something like that. The key is the rice. you mm-hmm. said, you got to get the rice. You got to get the rice. Making the even cuts of the fish and stuff, like you can, you can learn that, but the rice requires mastery if you want to replicate the thing that you got from me Tonight, or at Mm -hmm. um, Kaiseki Furukawa or Billy Sushi or any number of places around the country or the world, it's not easy to do. So I'm also brave enough to say I would prefer to go get sushi from a sushi master than to try to make it for myself. Want to make sashimi? Sure, I'll make sashimi. I'll make like a seafood platter and there'll be some sashimi on it, meaning I get nice fish and slice it. But I don't want to make sushi at home. Uh, I've decided that I don't want that's the that's not one of the thousand things that I want to learn to try to do mm-hmm. well for myself. But for some people, if that's your thing, then dare to fail, mm-hmm. you know, work on the rice, work on your cuts and getting beautiful fresh fresh fish and asking like how long should I should the fish sit in my fridge because that's another secret of the trade. They're not getting as fresh a fish as possible. That's not the key. It doesn't it's not like the freshest fish makes the best sushi that's actually not true but i would say dare to fail and also it's okay if you say i that's not a thing that i'm going to prepare someone else can prepare that yeah someone who is someone like i gustavo can make me mole maybe someday i'll try that but for now like i i'm just gonna go get it yes right yeah (laughs) And hey, I I make I make tortilla, but they're nothing like your fucking yeah. tortillas. So I know when I make mine it's one thing and when I get yours it's another thing. That's okay too. That's well, okay you too. You can say I'm yeah, making a thing yeah. that's pretty good, but if I want to, you know, and there's something about that there's a personal sense of pride. Yeah. But, you know, I have the press, like the 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 cast iron press and I think I do okay, mm-hmm. but now I know. I mean, Five years ago when I was making them, I thought they were pretty damn good comparatively <laughs> to the, like uh, the Whole Foods tortilla. And then now I'm like, oh, no, they're terrible. <laughs> they're, good. they're fine to eat. They're fine to eat. And people are, people are impressed when you do it.
2: Yeah, they're like, they oh, better these. than the other ones out there. So Yeah.
0: I, I mean, honestly, I think
1: that my answer is kind of a mix of, of both of yours in that I really wish I would have learned more in my failures. I, it took me... My early 20s were really when I figured out that it was okay to kind of fuck it up because what I also learned is that I usually held myself to a higher standard of what flavors I wanted in there than most of the people that were eating my food. Most of the people were just impressed that somebody was cooking for them and they were getting something homemade. That's always true, right? I would
0: shit on it in that's front of them uh, because so I was it, I was convinced that I had like to talk about... the chef on top, chef, that before they even taste it, they're like, it sucks. Yep, that was,
1: that was that, that, I still struggle with that. My poor wife has to remind me every now and then, I am enjoying a very nice dinner that my husband prepared, and if my husband would shut the fuck up, maybe I would be able to enjoy it that well.
2: <laughs> and, that, and that is true, though. I, you know, we... I think that when you when you like food so much as much as we do, and then when we've been around so much food as much as we do, we have a different palate yep and and there's a lot of times when you do some and obviously like you always push to do the best you can do mm-hmm. uh, but it's i a, a consistent thing that i that I found around my chef friends and and friends that cooked is that they're never happy with what we do. Yep. Like we are never happy with what mm-hmm. we do. We always think they need something. Okay. Or that is like, it's rare. Yep. You know, it's rare. Like, yep. it, uh, even with me, like, it, it's very rare that I say something, and I'm like, that's it. That's just, it's just <laughs> nothing it.
1: else.
0: Throw this in the no sink and walk away. Yep. Uh,
2: <laughs> and, and, I, and, you know, I think that for the average person, they're, you know, they're, they're happy. You know, mm-hmm. like the longest, the product's good, and then the flavors are there. Uh, I think that we're a little more demanding with ourselves than, mm. than most people will be, and I think it's a good standard. Ooh. I think I think that that's that's part of I what, it, me what it brings you success and, and to food business. Sure. To to keep that. Yes. Um, sometimes you have to remind yourself that like you are a, a little more picky than the people that you complain to. are picky.
1: Well, and and to take a note <laughs> from what you had said, like I think that that I stole a lot of um, a lot of growth that I could have experienced in those first couple of years because I also didn't write anything down. And then when I was trying to figure out what I would have done differently, I had no frame of reference to mm-hmm. go Nothing. off of Nothing. because I couldn't remember how much garlic I threw in or I couldn't remember like when was the third pinch of salt that I added and I maybe should have done two and a half pinches of salt instead of three or how long did I actually have that cooking for? I could have cut a minute or two off, but I never... I never wrote it down. So I didn't know. And that's been probably the thing that's helped me the most in the last 10 years is getting better at writing everything down. And when I change something, you,
2: you, you have to man, you have to, you I, have to, I, I think the, with, with ethnic foods, you know, I have the the excuse and, and, and I, I think there is an excuse. Um, but it also helps the bellow people. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't usually give recipes to to my cooks because I want them to understand what every item does to the recipe. Sure. Right? So I tell you what I want you to put in the recipe, but I don't, you know, I'll give you a certain amount. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's really hard to, you know, like with, with French food or like classic cuisines, mm-hmm. like even some Italian, uh, you can give a precise way to make a pasta. You can give a precise yeah. way to to make a sauce or, or, or to do something like that. With ethnic foods, you rely on the product, mm-hmm. right? So for me, it was very important for people to understand like what the tomato does on the recipe, what the chili does on mm-hmm. the recipe, what the peanuts does on the recipe, what the, the you know, the sesame seeds on the recipe or, or the apricots or whatever. And I think it was a good excuse for a while, but then you realize like, no, you should write shit down. Right, and and it kind of goes both ways, you know? Like, you mm-hmm. cannot learn to utilize the shit that you've messed up, and then you be like, well, this is good for them. But then, you know, if you don't, if you continue not to do it, then eventually it's going to come back on you and be for like, sure. well, at some point, as a business, you need a little bit of consistency. Yes.
1: Right. That's it, man. Well, shit, write that down, because that's the shit right there. Write it down. Man. Boom. Salud. Charles, I think this one's you.
0: And So it is. Okay. Gustavo, okay, this is funny because we already were talking about mole. We've kind of, we're, we're, we're kind of walking in circles, but it, I, I like the way this is going. Name a favorite multi-day preparation dish that you make. Is it worth the amount of trouble that goes into it? And is it something that you make for special occasions? Or is it something that you just make when you want to make it?
2: A hundred percent and every time. You know, it's like from the from the moment that I'm roasting. Obviously, I'm talking about mole. Yeah, yeah you, yeah, yeah. you guys haven't got yeah. that one. I, I was just uh, dreaming okay.
1: of what uh, what your house you know, would smell like. It is, mm-hmm.
2: it's, it's, it's some things that reminds me home. And one of them is the, the roasting of the chiles, mm. the way that it smells, right, when you toast them. Um, do you I mean, have
0: like a specific type of mole do you make or do you make no no we moles?
2: actually call it the nixta mole
0: because okay
2: we have add so many moles to the mole they we don't i mean we make black mole every time we use the same mother
1: mm-hmm. okay.
2: and then we just add it to it and, and you know we i kind of came to the realization is like well i'm not gonna make the coloradito that they make in oaxaca I'm not going to make the, you know, the mole amarillo that they make. I'm not going to make mole poblano because, you know, I can I can call it mole poblano, but it's not. Like, this is nixta mole. Mm-hmm. Like, this is the mole that we make, and then this is the way that we're going to do it. And, and you know, it, it's gonna In Mexico, everybody thinks that they have the best mole. I think my mother's and my grandmother's the best mole I ever had. And I keep working to try to get to it, and yeah. I just some, somehow... It makes me feel that I will never get there. Yep. Um
1: We've had that discussion so many times on the show. So about certain you know, things to, that to have to be. To able be able
2: to call it something is like, you know, and it's gonna be somebody from Puebla coming to me and be like, "That's not mole poblano." I'm like, "You're right," because mm-hmm. we made it here. It's not mm-hmm. a Puebla, you know. It, it, so I think I think the the way the the way that we we learn to do mole nixta is like. We, we respect the ingredients and mm-hmm. we respect everything that it brings to the dish and, and we try to keep it as, as true as possible to us and what it makes sense to us and what we have available. and, and just trying to give it out to people because that's all we have. Um, mm. if, it, if it's worth it, I mean, like I say earlier, like opening the door in the morning and then getting the first whiff of mullet <laughs> is like if you don't wake up with that, like now nothing will make you wake up. Um, and and you know grabbing a fresh tortilla coming out of the machine and just, and just and mm-hmm. dipping it in there and then taste it and be like nope, it's not ready yet yeah. uh, and then the smells and and you know we we have the you know some people come in, into the shop and they're like man like what are you making this smells amazing I'm like right
1: yeah you know <laughs> it, it's like
2: it's, it's part of, it's it's part of what we do like we don't we don't make it very often um, you know we we do it for sometimes for our family meals. Uh, and then we do for our tamales, and then we do for, you know, special occasion things. Um, but every time that we make it, like, it, it's like we we know the you know, we're going to eat in moladas. So we make enchiladas with mole. Uh, so that's that's our family <sighs> meal. That's what yeah. we, we actually did mole last week. And then we had one of our family meals was in moladas. Um, and it's like everybody, man, like we, we just dig in and... And you see everybody's face, and and the connection that we have with mole is like is is, is bigger than than just a family meal, you know. It's it like I know that I'm putting some people in other places. Mm-hmm. I know that Antonia, which is is my or or masa uh, master, you know, I she like she can make some mean mole, and then every time that she tastes the mole that we make, she's like. Well, oh, I don't know about that one, you know, because she thinks that she makes the best mola, and 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 I'm, it's nothing that I can do that would make change that. Sure. Um, but then she eats the whole emolada, so I know that it's good, mm-hmm. you know. And then she comes back and she's like, "Yeah, that was good." So <laughs> it, it's is. I think that dishes like that they're they're more than we think, you know. They're 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 mean more, uh, and then you know we, we have the luxury. To be able to do this because we want to. Yep. You know, at some point, it was some people that were trying to figure out what the fuck to do with so many chilies, mm-hmm. so they dry them, and they were trying to figure out how to eat them because if you think about moles it's it's all thickeners and sweeteners. Yep. So they were just trying to balance the the harsh taste of dried chilies, and mm. and you know, to me, like when I think about things like that, it's like I'm so lucky to be able to do this because I want to. And because they give me a way of living, mm-hmm.
1: right? I mean it's not it's not as tied to anything in my past, but I remember one of the first things that I I made my own was like chili. Like actually just making a pot chili. of chili. And I uh now at this point, after really solidly compiling recipes and writing them down and revising them I have more chili variations than anything else in my, in my personal cookbook of like really? what I make. And what it comes down to for me is I love the entire process of that. And I think it's because it always, like I started making it for football stuff and that was the time, the only time, where all of my friends from the bar industry weren't working. We would all get together and we would watch football and we would always have, like, bullshit. We would have, like, Pizza Hut or Papa John's Pizza right. mm-hmm. or some really terrible wings that we had bought, like, an hour ago, and they were kind of congealing. And I wanted to have something that I could make, like, from scratch that would be, like, hey, again, going back to, like, this is love for you. Yeah. I want you to have this.
2: I love this. you guys. Even if you start. Yeah. Exactly. Even if, you, even if you're rooting for the whole, especially, the other thing, especially right? when man, you I hate, suck, I, cheese, I want
1: you I to know. You. Yeah. <laughs> and the the as it grew, it's really fun for me to look through those recipes because I can see the date that I put them all. It's like a digital cookbook that I have on my computer and on my phone, and you could see the the dates that I put stuff in, and you could see how everything has grown. And it used to be, you know, using a bunch of canned shit and then, you know, cooking up some meat and mixing it all together and then serving it. And then slowly, one by one, it was peeling all those layers back. And I remember, I still remember this vividly, the first year that I went to a mercado and I got dried chiles and then, you know, uh, you toast them and then you throw them in and you let them steam and then you pull the skin off. It was almost like for the first time I felt like I was kind of like I was finally digging down to the roots of this dish that I like so much. And then the next layer that I added in was, now the protein that I use is going to be from a farm or a butcher that I know. And now I have like a a direct line to where this came from. And then it was bringing in tomatoes from a friend's garden and bringing in uh, you know maybe an extra uh, chocolate habanero or something crazy from a friend of mine's garden. And then it's bringing in herbs from another friend's garden. And all of a sudden what you have is not only this recipe that takes usually the night before, cause it's so much better after sitting for a day. Yeah. You have all of that together, but then you have like, so it's, it's this like metaphorical connection, right? But then you have direct lines to all of these humans who have made an imprint in my life. And you have a direct line to a technique that people have been using for hundreds or thousands of years. And now all of a sudden, all of that is just in this bowl. And yeah, we're going to sit next to each other and we're going to yell for people wearing costumes that are the same color as the costumes that I put on when I got up today. And we're going to say a bunch of mean things to each other and talk a bunch of shit. But it's all stemming from that place of love. Yeah. And that's that's what I love. That's what that smell indicates to me. That's what even when we can't possibly finish that pot and I scoop it all off into quart delis and I put those in my freezer, when it is that awful fucking 20 below zero polar vortex. That's pretty good. I yeah. heat that up and that's what I think of Yeah, is the warmth of instant, all those. Instant comfort. Instant you know? comfort, yeah. Because it's all of those things in one little quart-sized deli.
0: So let me ask you... Do you have a chili that you cook over multiple days? Do you like mm-hmm. smoke shoulder in one of your chilies mm-hmm. or something like that? Yeah, the
1: the the one that I'm the most proud of right now is uh, is a brisket chili. Uh, okay. So that starts the Fanny. day before. So that's a full day of smoking that. Mm-hmm. And then it's carving that up. And then uh, uh, shout out to a friend of the podcast, uh, John and Ashley Buck. Uh, I had been literally, I I will freely admit this. I think you and I talked about this, Charles. I had been throwing away the fat that I butchered off the brisket and they were like, dude, throw it a crock pot and render that out and then use that tallow to then cook anything else that you need. And so now that same beef that's, Smoked and is adding all of that flavor. Now, all of a sudden, you have all of this beautiful, unctuous fat that's helping cook a lot of the vegetables that are going in there. So, you have the brisket, and then you have the start of that. And then it's literally like cook it into the evening and then kill the heat, and let it sit, and then reheat it the next day. And then that just slow simmers all day long. And if we need to, you know, you can add a little bit of beef stock or a little bit of tomato sauce, depending on. You know where the consistency is, but to me, it's that it's that overnight resting where all those flavors really come together, and that's what I that's to me. I again, I don't know if it's just my brain projecting this, but I feel like that's when it really ties together. Yeah, is in that that overnight sure. and then the reheating. You do
2: that so many times, right? It's like a soup would taste better the next day. Yep. Yeah, and and I mean, because the way that we work in the industry that we like sometimes it doesn't you you don't have the time to do that <laughs> exactly uh, but i can attest that like some of the best dishes that i have is by
0: reheating something absolutely it meets um, with a lot of connective tissue and a lot of collagen mm-hmm. and it resets and then it reheats if you if you make a pot roast the right way oh or short ribs the right way and you reheat them the next day, it is scientifically better than it was the day that you prepared. I will
1: hold to that till the end of my life. Pot roast the next day is better than pot roast fresh. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Charles, I know that you have a couple things that you really put that much time into. Is there anything?
0: Yeah, I actually wanted to frame a question in a particular way that would be probably a little too specific and might not work for everybody. And the way I wanted to ask it almost is, Is there something that you prepare with leftovers, air quotes, uh, because it's meant to be prepared that way, that is almost like irresponsible? And so (laughs) it's the same answer for me as the answer to this question. And I'm glad we have an Italian, trained Italian chef here because it's arancini. So something about arancini feels super irresponsible because you're making this really beautiful, silky, perfectly prepared risotto and then you're like, nope, not now, motherfucker! And you said it. Yeah, to yeah, the that, side. that was that was felt kind of wrong, right? Doesn't <laughs> to say, yeah? You know,
2: it was it was fine when we were like, all right, we have too much risotto that we yes. pre Yes. Let's use it for something else. When you started cooking risotto to make arancini, <laughs> it just seems like something is wrong. Like like yeah. we went too far. No, yep. exactly.
1: Right. I and mean, I was not to jump on yeah, on your point, no, but like same thing for uh for whenever I make a dish. With rice. Like, just recently, uh, my wife was craving, you know, like, take out Americanized Chinese. And so, I was like, well, why don't I just make, like, a Mongolian chicken? And I made double the rice because I took half of it out and I let that dry out, threw that in the freezer overnight. Because then I knew I could make some bomb fried rice the next day. Like, mm-hmm. I'm intending. I have fried to cook rice. that ahead of time.
2: We, we have fried rice once a week. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, incredible. It, it's just like, you know, we cook rice for our family meals. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then we always have rice. as the one thing that we always cook the more than we need to. Uh, even when we don't cook enough, you have to cook more, so you ended up cooking more than <laughs> way you more. Need to. Uh, so we always have, and then, yeah, you are exactly right. Like I, I feel like rice is one of those things that like you can make it so good. Yeah, with mm-hmm. such a little effort, where like you will be satisfied. By it. When it's attention. right,
0: there's almost nothing more satisfying mm-hmm. than especially rice with fat. You know, I always remark on this podcast and IRL that when you have, when you're eating stir fry or anything else and everything soaks into the rice Mm -hmm. or, you know, when you're eating like Mexican food or um, Ecuadorian food, you get the fried egg and then the yolk is all mixed into the rice It's amazing. And then when you get the crispy rice and a bibimbap or, or the Iranian rice dish that I always forget the name of the that's, when I'd you say, get that it's ah it's
2: just talking, talking about fried rice fried rice from high high oh
0: yeah mm.
1: bonkers
2: i don't know what they do
1: i'm trying to figure that out still they, trying to figure i know that out. and it's it's yeah there's something about the texture that comes with it like where i that's one where i will straight up like either use my finger or i'll just like the plate
2: yeah no no like i just want to like you know they give you chopsticks and I'm like, this is not gonna help. No, I want like I want like I, I a kitchen I a spoon.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I want a ladle. <laughs> so anyway, I, I'm sorry we, we jumped on on the rice thing, yeah, but
0: not at all, uh, arancini was so I I do a Christmas Eve, and I've mentioned this before. I do Christmas Eve Italian dinner for my family every year. Been doing it for 20 years now. It's like the feast of the seven fishes, but I'm not just. It's not just seafood. I'm doing a bunch of stuff. And my signature dish, and I don't do it all the time, but my family gets mad when I don't do it. Is the arancini, okay. and of course, a big meal when I'm doing like seven to nine courses of Italian food and making my own pasta and stuff. I got to start the day before, and so it kind of leans into, yeah. Okay, I'm making I'm making the risotto, and then of course to feel a little less irresponsible, it's the uh, the devil's share. I give myself a little bowl, yeah, and that's my that's my dinner at the end of the, the first night of preparing all the food. And then that sets up in the fridge, and then of course you get your cheese in the middle, and then you roll it in the breadcrumb, and you fry it. And then I make you know my own red sauce, and so you just nestle those those little suckers in the bowl on top of the sauce, Ooh. and then every you know, and the crowd goes wild. People absolutely Ooh. love it. But it is funny how irresponsible it feels to yeah make, make this beautiful dish, and it's, they're it's, like, "Yep, it's, you it's sit a, over there." Even knowing a, you, it's such a
2: crowd pleaser, man. Like, oh yeah. I mean, I. I don't know how many people doesn't like arancinis.
0: Oh. They used to be hard to come by, but now you can go to, you know, will, at least I here. I wouldn't trust
2: them, to be honest. Yeah, there's... Sure. Yeah. Somebody come and be like, oh, I don't like arancinis. i would be like...
0: Well, it's been fun. Yeah. yeah. See you later. Oh, you don't like <laughs> fried rice balls with cheese in the middle? Cool. Nice knowing you, pal. But, <laughs>
1: also one of my high school nicknames. <laughs> which one? Fried rice ball with cheese
0: in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> oh I thought it was a little orange, because it's... Oh, yeah. I mean, that. there's that, too.
1: Little, hey,
0: little orange. <laughs> Yeah, the funny thing also is knowing no. They, that
1: was that was my girlfriend who had orange fingers. Oh my god! Uh, <laughs> it was fried rice ball with cheese in the middle and little orange. Little we, orange we, we were spread. a perfect little couple. Oh my
0: god. <laughs> <laughs> just like orange, you can't just have one; you got to have oh. at least a perfect, perfect little couple. That's funny. Uh, That's so uh, yeah, dumb. sorry, it, Stephanie. <laughs> it's cool that you can you can find it on menus now too. Because when I started making it for my family. 15 years ago, it, part of it was you, can't, you couldn't find it on a local menu because no one wanted to fuss around that. It wasn't in demand. People would have to ask, what is this? But now that people know what it is, mm-hmm. you know, whether locally, regionally, nationally, internationally, you can find it on a local restaurant's menu. Bungalow Club here in Minneapolis makes a really beautiful really one. Good. Fantastic. They're yeah, really good. beautiful. Uh, it, it, the, the other funny thing is knowing that you don't actually have to make the risotto perfectly, but you still do. Yeah, you still if, do. I mean... I'm not saying I make a perfect risotto, but I think I make a great risotto. And you couldn't just do it the wrong way because you know that you're not going to eat it as risotto. There's still that voice in the back of your head that's it's, like, "You, you do your brain it right not let you fuck that up." Yeah, do it right. Right, it's still practice, isn't it? You know? like, <laughs> still, your brain is like, "No,
2: still need the cucumber. Yeah, you still you gotta you gotta still I'm do more it right.
1: All <laughs> <laughs> I hear every time I, I've been watching. I I I I love like all of the food documentaries that we have out right now, but uh, if I had to pick one like slutty ass TV bullshit that I like, my trash TV is like the competition cooking shows. Yeah, mm-hmm. and for whatever fucking reason, everybody tries to make a risotto on MasterChef, and all I ever hear uh, is Gordon Ramsay going risotto, and I just I just love like. His, his ability to confidently mispronounce, like, every word because he's British is always amazing. Like, it's the confidence of, like, a white woman in an SUV in a Total Wine parking lot. Like, it's just, like, I don't care how bad I am at this. I'm just going to fucking go for it. And every time anybody says, like, anything involving risotto, I'm just, like, I said, risotto.
0: Risotto. Or him like holding the plate and watching it, like just drip out, or stick to it, <laughs> yeah. or stick to it. And Then he slams it on the yeah. f- fucking floor.
1: Oh god, right, that's a whole that's a whole other side digression. Right. Sorry,
0: Gordon. Aluminum,
1: you <laughs> fucking aluminum.
0: Well, cheers. Yeah, cheers uh, to that boom. One. boom. The final shot. All right, um, I,
1: I, it's it's so weird because I remember. Cool was the first time that I remember, like, knowing who you were and marveling at that menu and just being, like, on a completely different fucking planet. Because I, I didn't realize I – I loved – I signed up for all of the fun, like, amazing culinary buffoonery at Travail. I love the fact that they were poking fine dining in the eye and having a good time with it. And I think that sometimes I had so much fun – watching them mess with like what was allowed for fine dining. Then I forgot about the amount of quality that was going in and the amount of thought and heart that went into it. Yeah. And, and like, it really truly took my breath away. And since then I've, I've been watching like what you've been doing kind of from afar. Like, I don't feel like I've, this is the the most I've ever gotten to talk to you, but every time.
0: Contextualize was a a dinner series that you've done pop-up dinner series that you've done with a local restaurant. Yep. Here in the Twin Cities, yeah, and
1: he he referred to it earlier right, as well. But just
0: because I don't know if we mentioned travail at the time. Oh yeah,
1: sorry. Yeah, it Apple was in restaurant. in in partnership with uh, a restaurant that was having their new restaurant built, so they were leasing a space. Because that was that was the first that one was, over in the, the Brad Street, yeah, um, and it's. It's been it's been fun and, and wonderful to watch everybody like kind of fall in love with like the human behind the food because I like that it's not just about what you're making. Everybody that tells me how incredible something they've had from you is also in the same breath tells me like how much fun you are to be around and and how just engaging of a human you are. Um, but as somebody who also has to talk to people all the time and kind of always has to be pushing forward we get stuck in this sort of like go 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 hamster wheel where we have to keep talking about what's coming next and what's up and what are you doing and da, da, da. and I, I guess i wanted to ask kind of at, at the end of this episode is like what do you do i know it's a little different because you you have a, a small life form that you co-made but like what do you do when when the spotlight's not on what do you do to chill out what do you do to kind of center yourself when you have one of those rare days where there's literally nothing on your schedule, what centers you? And I guess I could even add in for you specifically, uh, how or has that changed like since having having a child?
2: Uh, yeah, I mean, everything revolves around him, man. Um, you know, I don't think Nick's that would have happened if my wife wasn't pregnant sure. when, when, when COVID hit. Um, I had a very comfortable job. Um, I probably would have stayed there for a long time if mm. it wouldn't for the pandemic and my yeah. wife being pregnant. Uh, it's, it's a sense of responsibility that kind of hits you in the face where it's like, it's not just about you anymore. And it's probably a lot of other venues that I would be able to go around and make money to be able to support my family. But I don't want to do that. Mm. Um, and then when you realize that, it's like, well, as cooks, you don't really make a lot of money, you know, as a restaurateur, you don't really make a lot of money. <laughs> even if it's a misconception that a lot of people think that, you know, if you own a restaurant, you walk around with your pockets full of money, like that's just not the case. Uh, but it's, it's a passion that we have about it. And, um, I wanted to teach my kid. That he can do whatever he wants, mm. um, and this is what I want to do. And and the cool. only way that I can be true to him is by doing what I like. It's amazing. You know, I I, I can look him in the eye and be like, "Do whatever you want to do." If I did not do what I want to do,
0: that's fair. Yep, very true.
2: And and you know, I I I feel like since since he's around i you know I walk around thinking like that, like why what, what I want him to know about me and and you know I, I'm very flattered they, they, they know that people think like that because you know i i I work and 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 you know life is is hard and, and it's difficult and then it's difficult for everybody. And thinking that it's just you—that is just foolish. <laughs> uh, so you know, I just keep my my head high and, and I keep pushing. And um, I hope that he can see that one day. And and you know, he, he did change me a lot. Sure, you know, he changed my priorities. He changed uh, the way that I, that I that I went to all my life. Um, and you know, I have a I have a, a partner. that... It keeps me grounded. It uh, keeps me not flying too high. Mm-hmm. So I'm a dreamer, man. I, I, want, I, want, a, I want it all. And, and sometimes you need somebody that reminds you that it's, it's a floor. And then, you know, they, if you keep doing that, like you can hit it hard. And, and she, she kinda, it's, like it's the balance that you need in life.
1: My, uh, so. I, don't, I don't know if this will hit with you at all, but uh, my wife always says, uh, I'm the balloon and she's the string. Yeah, she, and, and, and it like, is, man. She's like, "I want you to keep flying, but we got to keep it tethered to something." It, it, it real. is,
2: it is, you know. And and I feel, it, it you know, life a lot about momentum, and and you know, right now, for the past two and a half years, I have the the engine, the that, that keeps me pushing forward. And it doesn't matter what it is, like, you know, I know I'm gonna push through it, mm-hmm. and I know everything is is just a moment and. It doesn't matter how hard it gets, like, it, it, eventually you have to figure that out, you have to move forward, and, and you know, my partner, she just keeps me uh, in place and keeps on reminding me that things are important in life, uh, which is, is like, super important, because if it was just me, I would be, like, a thousand miles away, yeah. and, and I know that, like, it, it's no. just, like, a lot of times I have to remind myself that it's it's aggravating at times when she's like no you cannot do that and I'm like but I really want to do it mm-hmm. and and you know I have to think like why is she telling me that yeah. and and I come back and I'm like all right well let's let's start from here again and and it has worked I mean it has put me in a places that I never thought I was going to be man sure. you know a, a boy from Mexico they moved here legally and and now they have all this like it's it's sometimes I feel like I live in a life that is not mine, you know. They're like yeah. I keep looking back to like who's gonna come and take it, you know. <laughs> but I also work really hard and and I'm very passionate about what I do yeah. and uh, I I love I love what I do. I I, I can't see myself doing anything else.
1: Is there anything that you do when you're not at work to kind of refill your cup, just personally? Like is there well, like just, just, like.
2: Yeah, them man. Like they're they're my they're my center. Sure. You know, I I, I take a day that I'm that I'm I hang out with my with my son, and then we go and stay for hours at the at the playground. Love it. Uh, I take him to the children's museum. We go to the zoo. <laughs> that and, was my favorite and thing. And in it's like I, you know I I try to shut up my phone and Ooh. and act like I didn't see the somebody call me, and it's hard because yeah. I know how important it is. You know, it can be a cell. It can be an important call for business it can be something else but nothing is more important than them yeah that's real. so you know it when when it gets to the point it's like i i just have to do what's what's there and and you know i i, I sacrifice a lot of things in my life you know i live in my country i live in my family i live in my friends i live a lot of things so mm-hmm. a lot of times when you have something and then you want to reach to something else it's very easy to say like well, I, I know I can just go through that, and, and then they will be here. But I, as you get older, like, you don't know. And and I learned to appreciate a lot more the things that I have with me and, and trying to take care of as much as I can. And I keep fucking up, man. <laughs> of guess, course. Just, but again, we're, just, dar- we're,
1: no, we're daring to fail. That we, we're I'm, daring, I'm, to I'm fail. daring to fail. I'm daring to
2: fail, I'd rather go swinging.
1: Yep, that's it.
2: I'd rather go swinging.
1: That's beautiful, man. Thank you. I love that. Uh, Dr. Awad?
0: I have to have a clean deck by design. I just keep my schedule so full. And I generally prefer to have it that way. I really love the richness of varying experiences, and I feel like it extends my life. We've been over that before mm-hmm. on the long shot episode about how we feel about the passage of time. Mm-hmm. But I do also, it, it seems ironic by nature, but especially in the summer, I always schedule one weekend with where I don't allow myself to have any plans uh, ahead of time. I can't make plans. And that weekend this year was three weeks ago, I believe it was the weekend of the um, the concert you went to with Tyson.
1: Oh, yeah, the Rammstein yeah, show.
0: Yeah, the, the, yep. so that weekend. And that was one of the things. He asked me to go to that, and I told him I had plans, but that was my plan. My plan was to not have plans, so it was a little disingenuous, but technically mm-hmm. my calendar was marked... Don't make plans. And I end up discovering that I really cherish having that time where I can just sort of decide on a whim. Doesn't mean I'm not going to have an occasional Friday where I don't have anything like monumental on the schedule. Mm -hmm. But setting aside that block of time, and it's valuable time because it's the weekend, to say I'm going to do something or I'm going to do nothing. It's like a, a way to defragment the hard drive yes. for me because I pack every day. It's a great days. way to put it too.
2: That's 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 yeah. You wanna if you're not gonna do something is 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 refreshing. I guess some, it can as, be in some way like yeah. you need that. But if you gonna do something, just go for it. Right. Right. Yes.
0: Yes. And uh, you know the interesting thing about that is it often feels like. No plans feel like plans because you're planning to...
2: Not have plans. Take
0: <laughs> take time for yourself, Yopes. right? So what ends up happening many times with those weekends, and it, and it happened this time, it doesn't always go this way. Sometimes I end up calling an audible and then going to do something with one of the 11 people that asked me to come to their barbecue or go to a concert or meet them at Grumpy's. Occasionally, and this year that was the case. Uh, I didn't really... Do anything. I kind of just kept it low key. I milled around the house. I did a couple food projects, some cleaning. Um, casually worked on a few, th- few, few um, work projects, and it that that's I guess the way that I would um, phrase my answer is that um, I I can nourish myself by um, just clearing the deck mm. and being able to. consciously not have to yeah like having to consciously yes decide Mm -hmm. not to do anything yeah and even as i do it because it's something i'm working through even in like therapy and like interpersonally just i have to consciously even tell myself in those times like it's okay that nothing's happening Mm -hmm. it's fine that nothing is happening and even in those instances like put the phone down because you don't have to see what's happening in the outside world because you can be content just relaxing with, you know, laying on the couch with the cat nestled on your chest and he's loving this as much as anybody because this is his idea of a fucking Friday and I'll tell you that right now. And then maybe cracking a beer and just chilling. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe grab a food magazine or pop something on the TV and hear the outside world through the open windows and just fucking be. Just be. You know? I gotta I gotta learn that's it's a, it's an exercise I'm going through, learning to just be, because that can be really soul satisfying as well. For sure. I,
1: <clears throat> I, I. That's something that I've been actively trying to work on. Hundred percent is consciously just being. Uh, when I was in Yellowstone with my family, like it was all my cousins and all their kids, and all it was chaos but everybody crashed out at like eight 30 or nine o'clock. And then I got these beautiful, like two to three hours of pure stillness. There's no cell signal, there's no Wi-Fi, there's no anything. It was just me and open stars in the middle of the mountains. And I didn't realize like how much I needed that, but I can't afford to do that all the time. I can't, you know? So where, what what fills my cup, and I, I know nobody's gonna be surprised if you listen to a lot of episodes, Uh, I have really started going to a lot more concerts by myself and Mm. that will always be like in the same way that what I put on a plate for you is me trying to show you that I love you going to a concert by myself. If there's not an, like if it's something that my wife and I love together, I'd rather be with her. If it's a band that's just for me, I kind of just want to be by myself at this point because that's how I receive love from complete strangers is standing in a room full of a thousand other people that I don't know. And I honestly, most of the time really hope nobody knows me, but being a giant, sometimes it's a little hard to hide. (laughs) Uh, But just taking that in because I can't During the show, I'm too obsessed with music. I really try not to talk during a show ever. So I'm in a place where the thing that I do the most, which is talk, I can't. Uh, I'm not going to be like texting with somebody because I'm more concerned about that. And it is the art form that speaks to me louder and clearer than anything else on earth. So where my wife can read a book and it just completely centers her. And I love reading, don't get me wrong. But if I had to pick between reading a book or going to a show, I'd go to a show. Go to show yeah. Because in two hours, I walk out and my battery is at 100%. Right. Because I got to take in my favorite art form and I got to watch humans that I love doing it. Mm-hmm. And then I didn't have to interact at all. It didn't require me to come up or be charming or do anything. It didn't require them to answer things correctly for me to want. I just got to take in art. And like, that's where when you're in a museum and you see somebody like weeping at a painting, that's where I feel like I identify with them is like, I don't know. No painting has ever spoke to me like that. No sculpture has ever spoke to me like that, but a song from a band absolutely has. And that kind of fills me up. And the older that I've gotten, the more I've started going to shows by myself and the happier it's yeah, made me.
2: You get, yeah. I guess, um, I guess if I can add into that, um, something that I've been trying to do, just because I know how rare having Saturday nights off is, is in the industry. Um, I've been going to most of the Minnesota United games. Yeah, um, and I can tell you that after having a whole week of work and stress and everything, going to scream nonsense to a soccer match yes is the best <laughs> relief you can ever have.
1: Absolutely.
2: I go. I pay. The other day I paid six dollars for a ticket because yep. I waited until last minute. Yeah. Somebody was just trying to get her like something whatever, whatever money we're taking it. So right. they're they're fairly cheap. They're they, the stadium is beautiful. It's gorgeous. Um, we're gonna be there tomorrow, by the way. Oh,
1: it's one of my favorite uh, fan experiences. It, it's
2: just like it, it's just happy. Like I have people going to not, not I, I love all sports. I watch football, I watch basketball. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's an energy that you lived on the soccer stadium. I totally agree. They, it's a shorter, exciting. I, I pay the general ticket. I go and stay with the fans. I jump. I sing. I scream. <laughs> I throw things. No, I don't throw things. Uh, <laughs> but you can't do that anymore. Uh, but it's just fun. It's, yep. just, it's just really fun. And and as a as a way to end the week of... You know, work. That's that's also been like an amazing way to cope with life.
1: Well, and as your son grows, like that's also a really easy and great oh, he's, way he's to bond.
2: A he's a loon, man. He right. Knows. That's it. We we were driving by today, and there, I was like, "That's where the loons live." When we mm-hmm. wear our jersey, yeah. this is our house. Like he has to learn the colors, man.
1: That's, I mean, that's I I, that bond with sports, as long as you don't take it to a toxic level is really such a beautiful, like binding because you instantly become a single grain of salt in a whole pot. Yeah. Like you're just, it. all that matters is the whole, it doesn't matter if you take any one of these people out, you can both enjoy. Yes. Right. Right.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) There you go. That's (laughs) great.
1: Um, well, all right for, I guess to, to kind of wind this down, um, for people who have become entranced by who you are and what you do, what's the what's the best way for them to to follow you? Like uh, uh, all right, so or or
2: or Instagram page is uh Nixta MPLS, And I don't I think my accent is very thick, so when I say Nixta is with N as, in Nancy, <laughs> not as a Nancy, now it's get that when I put ordering every week. They're like with the M, like no with the N. Uh, <laughs> so NICSTA MPLS, uh, that's also our our, our website. Um, and then you know we we still do our, our family package meals. Um, we are gonna continue doing till we don't have to. People still like we have some people that keep getting the meals from the first week that we that we started doing sure. this two years ago uh, until now, and and we so it. that's. The field has keep us going all this time. Um we we have a possible expansion coming up. Uh, which is uh, super exciting about I heard something about yeah, it. I didn't want to you, tip any cards, <laughs> but uh you guys, you guys, you guys might it. be able to come and sit down yes! and, and have a, a beer while you're enjoying your tacos, Not nine an ironing board, which I thought the ironing board dining was a good hashtag, uh, but it didn't it didn't, it didn't stick. Uh, uh, but yeah, man, um, you know we in twelve twenty two Second Street Northeast, right by Dangerous Man and Young Johnny, and
0: yeah, beautiful part uh, of Northeast. It's a beautiful
2: corner. Uh, it's a lot of stuff to like walk around, and um, I hope you guys can can come and and give us a try. Hell it's, yeah yeah some badass tortillas
1: and if any of any of you out there want to give a true gift of love uh you could buy gift cards online it couldn't be easier you buy it it comes right to your email it it prints off in number form in barcode form and in qr code form literally could not be any easier and it's it is literally the best it will change your view on tortillas uh, yeah. Anything else that you want to? Any, anything else crazy you got coming up? Uh, no, man. We just,
2: I want to appreciate uh, you guys hanging out with us and uh, you know coming and hanging out with us. We have a lot more stuff coming uh, coming down. Uh, a lot of collaborations, uh, expansion, and just a lot of more tortillas coming down.
0: Love the I, sound of that.
1: Uh, Charles, anything else that you want to throw out right now? Nailed it. <laughs> right, uh, and again, just a reminder for anybody that's maybe looking at uh, doing a private event or just having a cool get together yeah, here Club at Club Caraway. Caraway. You reach
0: right uh, to me, it came from the sea on Instagram, and this place is amazing. By the is. way, <laughs> isn't it? I, I, walk, I walk in here and I was like,
1: "What? <laughs> <laughs> it's it's impossible." I think I said this to you when you first got here. Like, it's impossible to not feel a little bit cooler it, it's, when it's you're like, hanging I feel, out. I feel special. <laughs> Let's put it that way uh I can't thank you enough for being here gustavo i've i've again as somebody who's admired you from afar for a long time uh it's just wonderful to have a a voice like yours but also a heart like yours in this industry leading where we're going next um i I don't know i I don't know how old you are I'm gonna assume like we're in our forties are you in a similar i'm, I'm there okay I'm there. Yeah. so yeah. for for all of us like I think we grew up where the scary chef and the, the closed curtain was what, that was what I w- first learned. It was like as far as kitchens go versus everything else. And it's, it's humans like you that I've been able to follow that have opened the curtain and have brought everybody in. And instead of us versus them, it's become a we And once we start talking about we together, then everybody's in it together. And the more that we all learn together, the more that we all share together, the better everything gets. And I get to like be on the outside tangentially working with amazing people in the restaurant industry. But to know that there's, there's hearts like yours in there. Like it just makes me feel like the future is limitless for where we're going to go. And all we can do is just keep raising, you know, rising tides, raise all ships, man. That's, Sure. So be, I'd be though.
0: remiss to not mention that my wife is a Spanish teacher and one of her former students works for you. Yes. I don't remember his name. She told me right before I left, but I was like on the way out the door. But that's pretty cool. too. That's amazing. Small world in our city. That's yeah. Yeah. that's <laughs>
1: that's beautiful. And again, uh, all it is is good humans, then finding other good humans and everybody just grows into a better yeah. person. We will. We yeah. will. Well, uh, cheers to all of you. Thanks for listening again, and we'll see you on the next episode. Salute. Salute.
0: Salute.
1: Cheers.